You're listening to episode 83 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Hello, friends. My name is Phil. After many weeks of recording this podcast, today is my long-awaited face turn. For the rest of this episode, I will find only positive spins on all of our topics and our main discussion. I am now the positive pal. It's Earth 3 Phil. <laughs> is it a is it a face turn if that's pretty much already his face? Of of all of us, he's the probably the most positive about most things. Oh, am I? <laughs> right? What? Have you been on the show before? <laughs> I'm I'm I mean, I would definitely say I'm the most positive. Yeah, definitely. And I would say well, it, uh, yeah, like not not 100%, but like certainly more than me, certainly more than Pete. Probably more than Marco. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I, I thought I was the heel of the show, but I guess Marco kind of crowned in on my territory. That's why you have to make a face turn now. That's why. That's my face turn. I'm, I'm now the good guy. Does your face turn make you unfunny? Because this was the least <laughs> funny opening joke ever. Most nice people aren't funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All I right, mean, that's why, that's why Superman's not a comedy book. That's right. That's right, Kale. That was a very good take. <laughs> except for except for the upcoming Bendis run, which is obviously laughable. Well, that's the quality of the joke of the book is gonna be the joke. <laughs> it went on a little too long, but that was still a good joke. <laughs> uh, I like it more when we're mean to each other. Let's move on. Good idea, yeah. Pete. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh so to get away from this horribleness, I'll just tell you guys where you can find us. Why you would want to, I don't know. But uh, you can find us in a lot of different places. We are on Apple Podcasts, where we are a five-star rated podcast. Let's keep that tradition going by you going over to that platform and leaving us a five-star rating. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud and all other podcast hosting platforms. If we're not there, tell us and we'll get there. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com uh, with a random question, a buy or sell, or whatever you feel like talking about. If we care, we'll read it. We care. Uh, we're lonely. And um, last but not least, we're on YouTube, where you can like this video, drop a comment, subscribe to the channel, share with your friends. A subscribe costs you nothing, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. So head over there and do that, even if you're not actively on YouTube. Simple, easy to do. Hit the notification bell to make sure that YouTube alerts you as to when our stuff goes up because they go up every day. And uh, you don't want to miss that because it's good. So uh, we've got a got a pretty hefty show. We're going to be talking about the huge news coming in from Watchmen, uh, HBO's Watchmen. Big time bombshells that I'm excited to talk about. But before we get to that jazz... Uh, Did different news come out because I like I I know I'm on like a different time zone from you guys, so I don't know if like something came out while I was asleep or. Well, I don't. Everything know. I've seen has been garbage. I don't no, no, know. No, 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 no. It looks pretty good. <laughs> I hate this so much. I got what I asked for, and it's the worst thing. I'm in a prison of my own design. Uh, so before I was rudely interrupted. I was trying to say that we have found a winner for the Deadpool Cares package. And we are very excited to announce. Uh, Marco, do you want to do the announce? No, you can go for it. Announce. All right, I'll do the announce. 
Uh, hang on, um, guys. I want to. I, I want to do it. We no, can yeah, all like do, do it. it. Just the sides. So I can do a drum roll. <laughs> all right, I'm doing. Um, oh man. And the winner is our good friend Jimmy. Woo! Uh, Jimmy, you are the big winner of the. I'm glad. I'm glad you did it. I was gonna say something completely different. That was a nice try, Kale. <laughs> he didn't even try. What are you talking about? It was. It was. He almost tried. It was good. It was the. In- it was the intention that mattered. It was the intention. That's right, Mark. God, that's why you're so smart. Oh my on this god! Show. Stop interrupting, Sean. Just let him talk. <laughs> so anyway, hey, congratulations, Jimmy. Yeah, congrats. Um, you have won. 10 volumes of Daniel Way's epic run on Deadpool. Uh, all you have to do now is just we'll, we'll, we'll contact you and get your information so that we can send it your way. Thank you for participating. And uh, stay tuned because we'll definitely be doing more giveaways in the future. Thanks so much, so Jim. Congratulations. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so let's do, let's, do the, uh, let's do the listener mail. All right, so pulling from the mailbag, we've got a uh, email from our good buddy Harris, who wrote in on episode 81, where we talked about the crisis at DC Comics, and he wrote in and said this, Farfetch team I'd like to see in phase four, the Exiles. Impossible long shot, but I think it would be cool to see. Yeah, we haven't even seen the X-Men yet, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, you just said, hmm, damn, hear that beat come in? It's Funky Phil's fat, Funky Factoid of the Day. Oh, God. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what a sick beat. That's a sick beat. <laughs> it, on this day in 2004, Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men number one was released. That's my Funky Factoid of the Day. That was a funky beat. I, I don't even know how to react to I'm, that. I'm thank, thank, thank you? Oh, I gotta part the kimono here for a second. Is that is that real? Yes. Okay. Well, I, well, okay, you know what? Thanks, Harris. It is awesome to, now this is back to him. It is awesome to see Marvel reaching out to another culture and making exclusive content for them. I think DC tried the same recently with a comic line with Chinese characters, but I am digging the approach Marvel is taking. I read a lot of translated Chinese novels, and they have a huge fan base in literature. I cannot praise it enough on how they are catering to that audience and making them more inclusive, especially with the titles. Um, so I think we talked about that on that episode. I'm pretty sure you're alluding to uh, the new Superman and the Justice League of China. Um, so yeah, obviously they, they've definitely, uh, put up, put out a bunch of new Chinese superheroes, but obviously this is a different approach. Yeah. So he's, he's talking about, uh, the Marvel characters that recently were created that they dropped exclusively in China on their, you know, digital streaming service, um, or not streaming service, but their, their digital comic reader yeah. service. Uh, and yeah, there's been a lot of positive feedback for that. Um, I don't know how well the new Superman stuff is doing, uh, and the Justice League of China, but, uh, I've definitely heard a lot more positive buzz about what Marvel's doing right now, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that new Superman and the Justice League of China has been, like, successful for it to have gone as long as it has, um, but I don't, it's obviously not, you know, like, I remember we were talking about how the first issue of one of these two Chinese books had done, like, I think like over a million reads or something yeah, like was, that. So yeah, it was over a million, um, which is great. Like that's obviously a huge number. So um, yeah, I, I we were all pretty you know um, quick to pat Marvel on the back for that move. So we're uh, definitely aligned on that one, Harris. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see the numbers on the DC stuff uh, in like the foreign, the foreign being the outside of the the U.S. market. You mean, you mean like uh, how it does in other markets? 
yeah yeah because like to to me like it 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 seems ver- you know versus the way marvel is han- handling their chinese thing it 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 seems the way dc is doing it like with the new superman and and that title it seems more like a move that uh is trying to attract more of the asian market in america yeah yeah it's aimed at western readers for sure yeah so i i would be i would be interested to see how that's performing in those markets yeah maybe we can find that out i'd be interested to know that as well uh, so then he goes on to say, another crisis? Please, for the love of ink and paper, no. I'd rather they just <laughs> announce a new Elseworlds series or something like Multiversity. Preach. Yeah, well, there, is Preach. An- there is another Multiversity. Uh, Multiversity 2 is coming out at some point, but um, that that is a thing that is happening. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, new crisis. I mean, they got they got to have events. They'll call it one thing or another. What difference does it make? Uh, you, you know, know what? That would be a refreshing title. What difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> One thing or another. <laughs> that was a good joke, Kale. <laughs> that was a good joke, Kale. I'm Thanks. over this whole thing that you're doing. I don't like it. It's not even interesting. <laughs> it's got no heat, Phil. It's 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 really sucked the humor out of the show. For real. <laughs> For real. <gasps> All right. So uh, then he wrote in with... Two random questions of the week! <clears throat> oh, God. I lost my voice yesterday, you guys. I'm sorry. What, Kale? What? <laughs> I wish it I wish it would really get lost. Maybe maybe you shouldn't find I it. I wish you would get lost. I thought I was really happy when I thought we'd left you at Wizard World like a small child. If you had the opportunity Listen. to helm DC's movie division, how would you handle Flashpoint? I would like to think... I wouldn't. Okay, uh, that's Kale's answer. Uh, I would think to make it into two films leading to the new DC film universe with a hard reboot. The reboot does away with the previous Superman and Batman. I would introduce Rip Hunter near the very end in his time ship with an unconscious flash. He is in front of that blackboard writing, uh, simply stating, Barry, we need to fix your mistake. Closes with a closeout on the number 52. <laughs> I would... <laughs> I would I would want oh, shit. I would want this to lead into the Flash movie. Not an origin movie at all, right into an action adventure film into the multiverse. I believe it would be a great way to introduce new characters or revamped ones to the film universe. As a bonus, no suicide squad. <laughs> oh man. Okay, well. Listen, in the history of people coming up with solutions to the DC film universe problem, no one ever suggested Rip Hunter. You're the very first. You know, you know what the worst part about that is? Is Rip Hunter is in the consciousness because he he is a character in Legends of Tomorrow. How many people on this podcast know who Rip Hunter is? Never heard of Rip Hunter. Sorry. <laughs> okay, yep. two out of three. I've never heard of Rip Hunter. So. That's number one, okay? Uh, Might as well have said Booster Gold. You'd have got a, well, not a better reaction, but. I know who that is, at least. <laughs> at le- yeah. yeah. Booster Gold, at least, is like a fun, you know, character. Um, uh, two parts. I don't need, I don't need two part anything from DC. They need to get part one right first. <laughs> Give me a second movie that I even like a little bit, and then we'll talk about a two-parter. Uh, 
And then Barry, we need to fix your mistake. No. Uh close out with the on the number fifty two. <laughs> Why? Harris, you're killing me, buddy. <laughs> uh um Yeah, I just I mean, you know how would I handle Flashpoint? Not like that. I would uh I would try to not do it, but if I really had to, um, then I would I would actually go all out and try to pull as much from the comic as I can because uh, at least the Flashpoint comic is a lot of fun and it paints the characters in a different light. It gives you that sort of Elseworlds feel that, that a lot of people love from DC. Uh, I think there's a lot of emotional notes you could play. Uh, resolving this version of Batman's emotional arc by getting to meet his father. I think that's very cool. Um, and yeah, I would, I would pull from that in a lot of different ways. I would redeem every character who's awful currently, uh, Batman and Superman included, and then reboot it with them being exclusively. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Joker, <laughs> Joker. Joker's oh, not, sure. Yeah. Um, I would redeem all those characters and then introduce a rebooted world where everyone is as we know them from the comics and Zack Snyder never existed. Yeah, I would do something pretty similar to that, Sean. I think, like, for me, I just have a few specifics. Like, I would um, – I, I, I know there was, like, a rumor a while ago that, like, Jeffrey Dean Morgan wanted to play Batman. I And, like, he played <clears throat> Thomas Wayne in um, Batman v Superman in the intro shot. So I'd bring him in and have that whole – you know, narrative thread and have it just be kind of like a buddy film between him and uh, and Ezra. I think they'd have um, I think they'd have pretty good chemistry. And uh, I feel like that to your point, it would just be a really fun opportunity to like just blow things up, you know, and just have them go through a bunch of different really crazy universes that like, you know, you're never going to really explore in like a significant way, but you can at least get a taste of them, you know, and it would be cool to like do some nods to some other like really notable Elseworld stories, maybe like, you know, um, and even stuff that's not related to Flashpoint, you know, uh, like just some of the alternate Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, right. Like something like that would be super cool. And, you know, you could even use some of the same actors, you know, and like, or that could be your, your chance to introduce, well, Batman's a different actor in this universe. Batman's a different actor in this universe, in this universe. And then when we do the reboot, we've replaced our Batman, but whatever, for whatever reason, then you're kind of accustomed to it, you know? Um, I would also. Yeah, that, that movie, that movie would be expensive as shit. Oh, it would. It definitely would. But like, think about how much money they spent on Batman v Superman. And that was a piece of shit. <laughs> um, and I would also say you got to get Gal Gadot in there because, like, you've got to establish that she's Wonder Woman still, you know? Like, yeah, like, she's the one actor, like, the one real constant. Yeah, right. Like, her and her and Ezra are both constant for whatever reason. And, like, you know, if everybody else is shifting around them, you can come up with some fun comic book reason for why that's happening. You're altering the timeline, something, you know, whatever. Um but yeah, I, I think that seems like a really easy path forward to keeping what's working about the, the existing DC movies, which is namely like just a handful of the actors <laughs> and uh, and getting rid of whatever doesn't. And it's a really good chance for them to do something that's like lighter, you know, because like it has stakes, but there's a lot of chances for humor when you're like doing this like kind of like wacky time travel or not time travel, but you know what I mean? Like universe uh, spanning adventure. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be how I do it. And it, it's something that hasn't been done either. Yeah. 
you know, by by Marvel specifically. It's like when's the last time we had like a time travel kind of movie, right? Like it's like you could have some serious like Back to the Future vibes, you know, where it's like Flash is the you know fun young kid, and you know, um, you know, we've got Thomas as like a more grizzled Batman who lost his wife and son. Like I don't know, I feel like I feel like there's something there. Barry, we've got to go back, Barry. <laughs> we need we need to fix your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i i joked about not doing flashpoint um but seriously i wouldn't do flashpoint uh i think i would do it what is it earth three crime syndicate story probably similar to forever evil except maybe except maybe the other way around so the universe we're in is the justice lord lord crime syndicate <laughs> the justice um, lord <laughs> Henry Cavill Superman busts in in like the, the the actual like brighter costume and they all fight and that's the end of it. Oh shit, we were in the wrong universe. That's why it sucks. Oh my god, that would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> I'm still wondering if you reference Booster Gold with relation to Rip Hunter on purpose because um, in in some more recent continuities, Rip Hunter is Booster Gold's son. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, I thought you were being clever. No, no. Uh... I said Booster Gold just because he's more known than Rip Hunter. Well, all right, fair enough. I, I you should have just owned to it and acted like you were a real smart comic man. <laughs> man, that's not my style. Let's go. Let's go with Harris's idea. He has it in one. Okay. Uh, random question number three. From he's at as number two. That's what I meant. Which character from DC's New Age of Super or New Age of Heroes has the most potential to stand out, and which will easily fade into obscurity? My picks are sideways to stand out and damage to fade away. Even though they are respe- uh, respectively shameless counterparts of Marvel Spider-Man and Hulk, damage has been created in various forms before and never stuck around for very long. Example: The General. So, uh, I. I haven't read any of the New Age of Heroes stuff because I, I tend to shy away <clears throat> from new characters that kind of just seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, and then the early reviews for the books, the, the, the first wave of books weren't great. Uh, so I just lost interest. Um, but to be honest, my answer is that they'll all fade away into obscurity because the truth is that new characters have a very, very difficult time um, maintaining relevance in the big two. Um, I always think about Marvel's big attempt at creating new characters uh, in the, like, whatever, the mid-2000s or something like that. Um, like uh, the the granddaughter of Captain America or something like that. I can't remember her name. Um, oh yeah, blonde uh, American. Yes. Uh, American, American dream. dream. Yeah, American dream. I don't think she was his and- granddaughter. That was like he had that like Caps Corp or whatever, and there was that was her name. American yeah. dream. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. there was uh, what's his name? The f- the other the flag guy too, who was like his sidekick. Flag boy. He was just he was just in Secret Empire. Uh, Cap killed him. Flag lad. Ah, whatever. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! I know who you're talking about. Jack I don't know flag? his name, but I Is know it who Jack you're talking flag? about. Something it like actually that. might be. Yeah, I think it, Jack yeah. Flag is like a super old character, though, isn't he? Was he? I I think they revived him in the nineties or brought or brought him back to to light for so that he could die. Marvel had tried to introduce a few new characters there in the mid two thousands. Um, 
That, I know the American Dream stuff was like a, a future of Marvel, a potential future. But there were other characters that they introduced that were supposed to, you know, interact with the mainline heroes. And it, it completely failed. I can't even remember their names, you know. Um, they're not around. And, you know, you can make the argument, oh, well, Marvel didn't put their best talent on it or whatever. Okay, fine. But they're not here. Uh, I don't see these characters being any more relevant than those. Uh, visually speaking, <clears throat> none of these characters stuck out to me. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. They're not interesting. Uh, on the outset, I haven't read these books, like I said, but you have to, you have to entice me to read them. And, and they haven't. Uh, I love what Marvel's done by creating Miss Marvel and Riri Williams and characters like that, but look at who they are. They're offshoots. You could argue of of pre-existing characters, and so they're more palatable and easier to sort of jump into. You know, the Miss Marvel name is a name I care about. Uh, Riri Williams debuted in Iron Man. It's a lot easier to jump in on that when there's a, a tether to something I already care about. Whereas with these characters, I don't know. There's nothing there for me, so I think they'll all vanish. It it always it always depends on the push they get, and. Uh... I think of a character like Sentry, who was introduced um, around 2000, who was given a push. They did things with him. Um, he was featured really prominently in New Avengers and stuff like that. Uh, if these characters really only exist in these uh, in their own books and in 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 a side team book or something, uh, what chances do they have? Um, exactly. I've heard good things about Sideways and stuff, but like I said, if if it's not given a chance, I don't know how it's going to succeed. And I hope it's given a chance. I, I do want to just comment on what you just said because you brought up the century and I'm a mark. Um, I'm a century, <laughs> I am. Uh, the century was introduced very intelligently by Bendis because it was this idea of, oh, um, he's tied to something massive because he he's always existed, but no one can remember that. So there was a mystery tethered to his character that was like, wow, I really want to know what's going on here. And it ended up really paying off. So Did it? Yeah. Uh, um, in Siege, that was the ultimate kind of end of that storyline. I don't remember <clears throat> learned, that at all. We, we learned the origins of the Void, how mm-hmm. he was this ancient creature. Right. And I, I was super into this, man. Um, he was this ancient creature who had been around since like the time of Jesus and all this different stuff. Um, it was, yeah. It, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, that's all the new Avengers, Dark Avengers, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bendis was, I mean, it's funny because, like, for as much shit as you sling it, as people sling at Bendis, right? Um, and some of it earned, uh, he's probably the most successful writer to consistently introduce new characters into uh the marvel canon at least since i've been paying attention to comics because you think sentry jessica jones um and miles morales you know and if i remember sentry was created by paul jenkins oh okay he was he was created by paul jenkins but what i was what i was trying to say was that um bendis is the one who like used them propelled that story okay yeah yeah. i I misinterpreted what you said um but yeah even so uh but yeah i I, I mean yeah even still uh daisy from uh uh shield and maria hill true as well oh yeah i forgot he's yeah 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 yeah, i really like bendis he's really good yeah um (laughs) anyway um so yeah I, i think uh 
to answer your question, Harris, I I think if any of them are going to survive it sideways, because he's the character I've heard the most about. Um, like I had his book recommended to me by one of my like local shop owners because he knows I like Spider Man. I've seen some positive buzz around the book, so if that's enough to warrant him getting like a spot in, you know, uh, like detective or action or something like that, that gets him a little bit, or maybe in Justice League or something like that, um, he might have a chance. But I think in general, he's probably going to be a thing that we're talking about in another five years being like, remember when DC tried to introduce all those new heroes and it didn't work? Sideways was kind of cool. I don't even, we'll probably have that conversation here in six months. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) So, uh, Harris, thank you for writing in. I know we dunked on you a little bit. I feel comfortable doing that because I know you personally. Um, Oh, we love you, Harris. uh, (laughs) I could take you to leave (laughs) <laughs> I can take or leave you. Don't you talk that way about Harris. We always appreciate when you uh, when you share your thoughts with us. And keep doing it, please. Uh, and of course, if any of you out there want to write into us, you can do so by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, which is how Harris chose to do it. Or of course, you can always just leave us a comment on YouTube. Um, either way, we appreciate you hitting us up. So uh, let's get into some pals polls here. Uh, first up, we've got Mech Cadet U Volume 1 from Kale. Yeah, so this is uh, the sort of, um, I don't know, Diet Gundam series from uh, Greg Pak and um, hmm. Takeshi Miyazawa. Takeshi Miyazawa. Um, great series. Um, it's uh, about a little boy who finds out that he is chosen to... Um, to, to fly um, uh, a mech suit. Um, I read the first issue and I was super pumped on it. Um, it's a, I believe they're doing 12 issues, so uh, be on the lookout for that. And uh, volume two, hopefully, is coming out soon. Who's publishing it? Uh, I think it's a boom. I yeah, think it's boom. boom too. Cool. You also chose Black Lightning Hong Kong Fui Special Number One. The, so this is the new wave of Hanna Barbera stuff. Um, Hong Kong Fooey comes out this week. I think Jabberjaw comes out this week. Yeah, Jabberjaw, Aquaman, and then I think Flash, uh, um, what is it? Speedbug? It's, it's Speedbuggy. Speedbuggy, yeah. yeah oh. Those three are all this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Hong Kong Fooey. Hype! Um, Number one Superhound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He jumps into that file cabinet, turns into Hong Kong Fooey, and I'm here for it. Yeah, <laughs> And the the first batch of those were really fun. I thought, like, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I know the Tom King Elmer Fudd one got, or Batman Elmer Fudd got a lot of attention. But um, <laughs> wait, I like the idea Tom King came up with Elmer Fudd. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I thought those those were all a lot of fun. So I'm excited for these. The, the real quick, uh, I don't know who did this, but I saw it on Twitter. It's an image of so if you guys remember the cover to that book, it's Batman's long shadow with Elmer Fudd being there. Someone filled in the long shadow with Tom King's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh man. Uh and then you also chose uh Void Trip. The trade is now out. Or will be out. Comes out this week. Um Ryan O'Sullivan and Plaid Klaus, uh friends of the show. Uh, we've been fans of Plaid Klaus since before this podcast was ever born, and uh, we're real pumped to support them. Um, sorry to see it go, but um, man, glad we were there for the ride. It's crazy that the first trade is dropping now uh, when Doomsday Clock, which released the same week as that book, 
is in development hell. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's in development hell. I would say two creators are taking their sweet time. You're right. That's what I should have said. I would say the development is hell. That, that's something the old me would have said. You're right. Good call. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> so, for Marco, we've I got... I miss the old you. I don't. I don't I don't ever miss Phil. For Marco, we've got Barrier 5. Uh, yeah, so that's Brian K. Vaughn, Marcos Martin. It's the last issue, uh, collecting... Well, ending ending the the run on barrier, uh, and I'm waiting for the trade, which should be dropping pretty soon. And if not, you can always go to uh, Panel Syndicate where they have it there. It's pay to read, uh, so you can read it all at once, or you can go to Image and pick it up too. Is did that come out weekly? Yeah, for for like the run of it. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. okay, yeah, because because it was already done, I guess. Right. Yeah. So they just they just printed it out. And that's it. And then you also chose Blackwood one. Yeah, so this one I'm excited for. Uh, so it's the writer's Evan Dorkin, who uh, writes Beast of Burden, which is a really, really good series. Uh, it's another, it's a separate sort of uh, adventure horror series about talking animals. Um, and then teaming up with Veronica Fish and Andy Fish, who were the artists for Archie. Uh, and this is another horror series, and I really liked uh, the Fish's work, so like I'm very much excited for this. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wait, uh, Kale, th- this one I think, especially for you, uh, I'm going to read the, the preview really quick. When four teenagers with haunted pasts enroll in Blackwood College, a school that trains students the, in the occult, their desire to enhance their supernatural abilities and bond with others is hampered by an undead dean's curse, ghosts in the dorm, a mischievous two-headed mummy chimp, a plague of mutant insects, and the discovery of an ancient evil that forces our heroes to undergo a crash course in the occult for the sake of the world. Wow. Shit. And the fishes are on it? Yeah, yeah. I'm in. Yep. I'm in. Yeah, I mean that sounds I'm very that's, pumped for that. That sounds very cool, but even more so it sounds like that's that's very Kale and Marco shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So from Pete, we've got Saga fifty two. Uh yeah, so Saga, one of my favorite ongoings for a long time now. Um, you know, great read. Marco and I are big fans of it. Uh the book's been um, in kind of a transitional phase for a little bit, and it's like really finally moving in a new direction, um, which is really exciting. Uh, and I don't know if Marco, did you see the cover of this one yet? I haven't. No, it's super cute. Check it out for you, video viewers. Oh you can yes, see it. I did see. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. very very cute. That's uh, my yeah. my boy Gus is fucking lounging, maxing and relaxing with his heart shaped glasses. So yeah, uh, so yeah, it looks great. Um, looking forward to that one. Uh, check out Saga if you're not awesome. Uh, and then you and I both chose Amazing Spider-Man 800. Hell yeah. Um, and really, what can you say about Spider-Man that hasn't already been said? Uh, <laughs> you know, well, what you can say is we've reached a landmark issue here. Uh, so 800, obviously a big number. Um, I believe this is the last one before the reins get uh, handed over, correct? Uh, I think yeah. so. I think, yeah. yeah, Spencer and Otley are picking it up at 801. So um, obviously I've had a lot to say about Dan Slott's run on this show. Um, I play it up a little bit, but I, I haven't personally been a fan of his interpretation on Spider-Man. Um, so I'm happy to um, get that new blood, but I'm also excited to see how he decides to say goodbye to the character. Because uh, aside from Bendis, um, he's written spider-man more than any other person so i'm sure i think i think he's written more than bendis well i i remember we reported about it and he had said yeah he was he, like six issues or something he yeah did. like bendis beats him out by the tiniest little bit oh really i think so oh. um 
and he had dis- he was like, I could go for like whatever more and beat the record, but 800 is a nice clean number. So it's it's 801 actually that he's ending. On. Okay, all right, so whatever. Um, but yeah, so so I'm I'm gonna check this one out. Um, a lot. There's a ton of fucking variant covers, so I'm gonna be excited. There's, to- I believe I counted. Uh, what was it? 24 oh my god Jesus. Uh, that's so, awesome i'm i'm looking forward uh to picking out like one of them uh so that should be fun uh it's gonna be my first time picking up a spider-man book in quite some time so looking forward to it if you're a real collector you should get all 24 yeah guess what uh a majority of them are ten dollars there you go pete oh my god guys this is this is a moment in history amazing spider-man will never ever hit number 800 again <laughs> until the next time it hits 900 guys you you don't even know the amount of like the impact this is going to have on the industry it's worth 24 covers and 10 dollars each it's worth your 240 dollars it's it's 21 by the way but that's just that's obscene that's an obscene amount uh I, if I could buy them all, I would. Can we kill the variant part of comics yet? No, is no. that can it be over? I, like it's killing the industry. I <laughs> don't mind them when they're done well. Like I, I feel like one variant cover is enough, and not every book needs a variant cover. Like it should be special. Wait till our podcast starts releasing variants on Patreon. All right. Uh, so speaking of Phil, you chose uh, Superman by Mike Millar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't think I was going to catch that. Um, I, I mean, I would hope you would. I don't want to look stupid. <laughs> we have Matt yeah. Murphy come at us in the comments. Well, actually, it's Mark Murphy. <laughs> um, the, uh, the website I had that uh, posted this had a typo that said Mike Millar, who's obviously the long lost brother of Mark. Um, this is a nice compilation of uh, Mark Millar's uh, Superman books, like his Adventures of Superman and stuff. Uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, and Mark Millar all had ideas on uh, restarting Superman from scratch. And it didn't really work out that way, but the three of them ended up getting out some of their stories in other forms. And collected here in this trade paperback is a lot of what Millar had in mind. Uh and his Superman's really good. For instance, if you haven't read his Superman Red Sun, obviously, which is like one of the most iconic Superman books ever published, uh, it's great. And I really look forward to buying this. Awesome. And then uh, Phil, Pete, and myself all chose Doomsday Clock number five. I don't know how Phil. all five of us didn't have that, frankly. Me neither. But uh, Phil, I mean, Hong Kong Fui came out, so <laughs> that's no contest. Well, what can we say? It's the next installment. This is uh, this is this is the book. This is this this is the book our show has been uh, collectively reviewing every issue since issue one. And if you all recall, uh, everyone was very high on issue four, which was the background um, of the new Rorschach, and it slowed down the book. It slowed down the plot, but it was like necessary character development for you to be invested in these new characters. And it's real curious to see where they'll go from where, where Jeff and um, and um, um, why am I blank? Gary Frank will go with this going forward. So I'm really excited. It's not, it, by the synopsis. It sounds like they're just throwing us back into the action, and it's going to be book wild. 
And like, that's awesome because like the, the point you made, Phil, I think is a super salient one. Like issue four did slow down the book, but the fact that like we were all so high on it, I, I think at least two or three of us said it was our favorite issue. Um, that's <laughs> speaks volumes about like the ebbs and flows of this book are really working. So like, I'm excited to get back into the action. It's been two months, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. It doesn't feel like it, though. Like <laughs> We will certainly be reviewing yeah, this. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, we, we will certainly be reviewing this next week. So uh, if you're into our Doomsday Clock reviews and you want to know what we think about this upcoming book, stay tuned for that. So let's jump into the news. Now, this one, this is an interesting one. And I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about this. So we know that a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming is imminent. And... According to rumors uh, from The Hollywood Reporter, in fact, Jake Gyllenhaal has been uh, tapped to play Mysterio. So fucking about this, dude. I'm here for this. Yep. Hi. So this is pretty incredible because, first of all, uh, we've had, what is it now? I guess uh, Spider-Man 1 came out in, like, what, 2002? I think it was 2001? Uh, yeah, 2001. All right. So we've had 17 years of Spider-Man films. And this is, well, I mean, not a Spider-Man film hasn't come out every year, but you guys get what I mean. This is the first time that Mysterio will be on the big screen. So that's pretty huge. What's also huge is that Jake Gyllenhaal has been rumored for so many different roles uh, in the superhero world. And this is the first time where it looks like he's probably going to to land this role um most recently uh we were hearing about him playing batman in the matt reeves film and that seems to have fallen apart now the role of mysterio is a role that's been uh uh, talked about for a while if you guys recall we reported on this uh, many moons ago that uh sony wanted to make a mysterio movie and a craven movie right yeah and matt Damon was actually in talks to play Mysterio at that point. He's passed since then. Uh, oh, as Mysterio, thank God. Oh, he had me sweating there for a second. So what do you guys think about this? So I think <laughs> it should be Jake Gyllenhaal as a projection of the real Mysterio, who is Danny DeVito. <laughs> That's good. I'll give, I'll give you that one for free, Marvel. <laughs> Slide that one across the table. Oh, oh You're my welcome. God, what the fuck? Hey, Spider-Man, reality ain't always what you think it is, huh? Now now I want to see that. You're welcome. Yeah, no, I think this is great. Uh, Jay Gyllenhaal is, like, obviously a phenomenal talent. Um, and I, I love Mysterio. I think Mysterio is, like, a, one of Spider-Man's, like, A-listers, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I'm not necessarily surprised that we've never seen him on screen. Because I think, like, of Spider-Man's villains, like, him and Kraven are ones that I think have kind of tough elevator pitches for non-comics audiences, you know? Um, they're a little bit more ridiculous than, like, billionaire who took this gas that made him crazy and he's got a suit. Okay, fine. Like, wait, I wait, get wait, wait. Kraven's more ridiculous than Sandman? Y- you don't think so? Hell no. Cra- Van the Lizard's But he's a, but, like, Pete. it's not that he's, Pete. what? Sandman is made of sand. <laughs> That's I know he's made of sand. But what I'm saying is I think to uh like to a non like to your general moviegoer, the idea of I'm at a I'm at a movie, 
about a man with spider powers. Oh, he's fighting a man with sand powers. Okay. Craven is just a Russian dude no. who wears a loincloth and hunts a man. It's ridiculous. Like he's a ridiculous character. It's, no, oh. it's it's a man with spider it's a man with spider powers being hunted by a a man who hunts people. But he doesn't. He hunts animals. He's the first man he ever hunted, I think, right? Because he's like, you're not a human. Uh, yes, that's like a whole I, thing. I, yeah, maybe. I think that's correct. That's what makes it interesting. I'm he's not saying he's... A, I love Craven. It's not a dig at Craven. I'm just saying he's crazy. Like, he's a crazy character. That's why we. That's why he should be on screen. Exactly. Because he's nuts. I'm not disagreeing with you. What, my whole point was that I think we're at a point where people get it enough to be like yeah craven mysterio whatever they're 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 not they don't seem as crazy now i think to the average person craven's the type of villain a christopher nolan batman movie would use because nolan would be like i can make this believable yeah i could see that but i don't want that i want i want fucking crazy craven who's like fucking snarling and doing wolverine smells and stuff like the way you know this is a good thing, for one, is that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was the subject of a Taylor Swift breakup song, which means he's already very good in my book. Uh, which one? Uh, we are never <laughs> getting back together. Really? Yes. Why do you Solid. know that? Um, uh, it was on the radio this morning, ironically. It feels a Swifty. <laughs> that's, that part's true, though. Um, uh, everyone's a Swifty. And I really like Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, He's probably my favorite actor right now, if I'm being honest. Um, uh, Okja and and uh, Southpaw, and especially movies like Nightcrawler. So he was in a superhero movie before, obviously. Give me three more. Uh, Enemy, Prisoners, and Donnie Darko. Nice. I'm a fan. <laughs> I like his work. He's good. He's a talent. Speaking of which, Donnie Darko came out the same year as that first Spider-Man movie. Holy shit. Wow. I didn't... That's crazy. Yeah. I'm into it. Mysterio is cool. Every time I think of Mysterio, all I can think of is the PlayStation 1 villain uh, uh, Mysterio in that game where he'd like, (laughs) Hello, (laughs) Spider-Man! Yeah, see? You guys laughed at my Danny DeVito pitch. This is not so bad, right? Well, now I'm picturing Danny DeVito as crazy, (laughs) which I'm also... You know what? I would all have been that too. I'm hunting the most dangerous game of all, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think this is awesome, and I, I honestly think that there's a, a chance if Sony is willing to let Marvel continue to use Spider-Man beyond this movie, because there's a very real possibility that they won't. I think if they're willing to, we might see the Sinister Six. We might finally get to see that. That would be so fucking cool. I remember that was like that they were like rumoring that in the original, you know, trilogy days, and um, for the longest time, because remember, like Bruce Campbell, they were doing that for uh, Andrew every, yeah, every too. single yeah. time. They always, it always gets to this. Yeah, that was when they were like, oh, we're gonna make a Sinister Six movie. Um, but yeah, I remember like the big rumor was that because like, Bruce Campbell had a cameo in every Spider-Man movie, and the big rumor was that he was gonna play Mysterio, and I was so about that. As a teenager, he would have been perfect. He's too old now, but um, I disagree. I guess you're right. Bruce Campbell, he Bruce Campbell could do anything. I guess you're right. Yeah, you can make you can make Bruce Campbell like a retired uh, uh, stunt actor and like oh yeah 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 no you're right you're right you're right there's 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 an angle angle. there but either way um, you could you could leave him as Bruce Campbell and it would still work. (laughs) Just bring him back and just give him another cameo. Uh, but I, I love Mysterio. I'm I'm really into the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal playing him. I, I hope this comes together. Cool. So 
Black Panther 2 rumors abound. Uh, Donald Glover is reportedly uh, being talked to by Ryan Coogler to play a role in the film. Uh, So this is coming from Metro UK. Uh, They're saying Ryan Coogler is currently mapping out Black Panther's sequel and has written in a number of new characters that moviegoers will be introduced to when it premieres. One of those characters, if he gets his wish, will be played by Childish Gambino, a.k.a. um, Donald Glover. Nothing is set in stone, but informal talks are happening between Ryan Gambino and reps from Marvel and Disney to see if they can make it happen. So that's awesome. Uh, in and of itself, I think a lot of people love Donald Glover. Uh, I've I not, do. <laughs> the only thing I've ever seen him in was uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, actually. Really? Little, I was about yeah. to say, oh. is this, would this be the first time an actor played two characters in the MCU? No, I don't think so. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, Paul Bettany. He was, uh, he was just the voice of Jarvis and then Vision, but yeah. technically two different characters. Mm. Well... That's a bit of a stretch for two characters. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I guess he's so, – yeah, because he is supposed to be – It's like Jarvis's – Jarvis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he is Jarvis, yeah. Um, that's why Tony had to get um, Friday. Right, right. Um, yeah. uh, that's a great question. I feel so like – That was what I was going to say. Is like, do, do you think he's going to actually play Prowler though? Nah, no. Probably not. That was just a cameo for funsies. Because Donald Glover wanted to be uh, Spider-Man so much. Well, yeah, I know. He's like, I don't know, though. Like, I don't know. Like, they, they laid threads for Black Panther to have something to do in New York with, like, the Wakanda outreach stuff. So it's like, eh, I don't know that it's impossible that we'd see him again. That was Cali. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you're right. It was in California. Wait, 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 wait. That wasn't New York. That was California. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even yeah, at, yeah. Even at the very end, when weren't they at the UN at the very end? He's talking. They're talking about when he opens up that youth center or whatever, which is right. In, but doesn't the movie end in the UN where he's giving that speech to everybody? Yeah, and he, the after so credit scene. Yeah. yeah. So he would be in New York at that point, then, right? My my he's dead right now. My fair. My assumption uh, would be that the outreach center with Wakanda's resources could probably go in new york like that wouldn't be too much of a stretch yeah maybe he's opening a new one in black panther too right like oh we've expanded its reach and there's one in you know like all these states and we're opening one in new york city like i don't know there's one in atlanta that'd be oh my god huh cuts fuck cuts that was there it is um but yeah i mean i would love this i'm a huge fan of donald glover um i've been following him since he was a fucking youtuber um so does he know that yeah (laughs) Um, <laughs> that was a good film. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I have mixed feelings about this actually. Uh, I, I am similar to Pete. I, I'll watch anything Donald Glover's in. I love Donald Glover. Um, but I, I think I would rather see him do something at not, not on his own, but where he's the star, you know? I just um, don't think he would do that though, you know? Like, I, He's not like a leading man. No, I don't. I don't think it's that he can't be a leading man. I think it's just like he's not. I don't think he would sign a contract to do like a multi Marvel movie deal because of like the way he is as a creative. You know, like he has his music I'm career. Fine. He's doing Atlanta. Like you know, he he has all, so many other things going on. I can't like it's a full time commitment to be whoever. You know, and and 
And my interpretation is that this would be a large, significant role in any way mm-hmm. for him. Right, right. So, I mean, it's like more, it's, it's like a leading role. This is an antagonist one. Right, and you also you also got to think like he he might be in a Lando solo movie or something like that coming up soon. Like there are other opportunities for him that I, I could see him wanting to pursue rather than being a leading uh, you know superhero. He said a Lando solo movie, and I was very confused for half a second. <laughs> Kill, I, I did want to follow up on that thought though. What what role do you see for him in the MCU? But, well, that's the thing. I can't I can't quite nail that down either. Um, but. I like I just like I it I don't I don't necessarily want to see him and and not that I think Ryan Coogler would do this and I'm not diminishing what his ideas are at all but I I I don't want to see him retread the ground that Michael B Jordan has already walked. Speaking of Michael B Jordan, uh from the same source there are rumors that he actually may reprise his role as Killmonger in the next Black Panther film. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was interesting. I'm wondering if it'll be in a vision or something. Yeah, like flashback stuff. Yeah. Or or not even a flashback, like maybe him communing with him like he did with his, his in, ancestors. Oh, yeah. that's cool. In, yeah. In, in Panther Land or whatever. Yeah. Oh, true. Right, yeah. He was a Good king. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he could he could theoretically be at that same place where uh, T'Challa's father is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you know, Panther Land. Yeah. <laughs> This is my favorite amusement park. (laughs) (laughs) Wakanda's premier entertainment venue. (laughs) I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because of that, that he couldn't come back. Like, I think he could come back. Be like resurrected somehow? Yeah, if they really wanted it. But I, I think ultimately he's probably better off dead. I mean, I think Wakanda thinks so. I just feel like he has such a good narrative in that movie that, like, I don't want to see them dig him up. You know, like, br- like bring him back for a cameo or whatever. That's totally cool. I'm, I'm down for him and T'Challa to have a conversation again. But I think bringing him back as like a significant antagonist would really sour the note that we leave him on, where like they have an understanding, and I don't want to see him come back and be a hero either. You know, because I don't, I don't think that's right. So, um. I'm all about getting him back for a cameo. Let's do that. Uh, so Deadpool 2 is obviously a movie that's out. We've talked about it. We reviewed it. Go check that out if you're interested in what we had to say about it. Uh, Kale, have you seen the movie yet? No, dog. I took that week off and I haven't seen I haven't seen or done shit. <laughs> Look at him like brandishing his wedding ring as he said. Yeah, that, that. <laughs> that quick flash. Boom. I like that. The bling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he hit us with the bling shot. If you're on, if you're not on YouTube, that's what <laughs> Kale just did. Um, so this is getting into slight spoiler territory. Uh, Kale, are you sensitive? Uh, Emotionally? Uh, no, it's Deadpool. I don't give a shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally fair. So if you care, you might want to skip ahead just a tad. Uh, so a lot of people are very upset with Deadpool 2 because of the fact that Vanessa, Deadpool's girlfriend dies in the movie uh she dies fairly early on as a result of deadpool's mercenary stuff uh he is chased back to his home unknowingly and they bust in and he fights them and he doesn't realize that there's one goon left who gets a shot off that clips vanessa well it doesn't clip it goes right through her body and she dies and this has brought up the conversation about fridging all over again yep i fucking love that term (laughs) <laughs> I, I I thought that the moment it happened. I really don't. It's a very like I don't know. It's 
It's intense. Um, Freaking <clears throat> true. For, for a reason. So, uh, obviously, people are very upset. Uh, and um, the, the writers uh, of the film and the director were asked about this situation and, and if they knew what fridging even was. And they said they hadn't heard of it. Um, Come so on. Twitter was ablaze, of course, with um, with this conversation. And uh, I don't I mean, there's not a whole lot more to add to it other than to you know, what do you guys think about this? I mean, his girlfriend died, so he would have motivation to do shit. I, I mentioned in a review uh, last week, uh, Deadpool having like plot stakes and like motivation like it doesn't work in general and to have such a flimsy one like ah, that's 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 why i leaned over to uh mark and i was like i don't know about this yeah yeah for for me it's just like bad trope is bad you know and it's like i don't i don't think that um i don't think that it's like a golden rule that you're not allowed to kill a love interest you know to motivate a character but if you're going to do that it has to be meaningful and it's not because nothing in deadpool 2 is meaningful well, and the thing about Deadpool, the first one, right, was that they spent so much time establishing that and walking that relationship past the normal boundaries. Like, there's a pegging scene. Like, you know, uh, like, I, I think I think most people expected better from Deadpool, which is a weird thing to say. Or expected different, I guess. Yeah, this is a tough one for me, I gotta say. Um because first of all, the movie is supposed to be like a deconstruction of uh, superhero films, right? In a very jokey way. So, at the end of the movie, he undoes everything pretty much, um, and it's like, ha ha ha! It's a big joke. Um, she's not dead, and you know everything is is back to one. Um, so there's that element of it, but then there's also the element. Where I think I think that I don't know. I think there are instances where I would say, okay, well, was it fridging when Uncle Ben was murdered to further Spider-Man storyline, right? Like, where, where, where? Who's the person that judges when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate? Was it fridging when married um, when Gwen Stacy was was killed to further Spider-Man storyline? And then also, um, in, in, in writing, right, like, this is a common uh, idea, when you have characters who outlive their usefulness, you, you find a way to make it so that that character can further another character's storyline and, and get, then get them out. Uh, lots of television shows, lots of books and films and, and whatever have, have done this, uh, whether it's wh- whoever it is that dies, you know, um, this is a common thing. Because, for 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 in the case of Vanessa, uh, and this is me being not not on the writing staff or or anything like that. Um, how do you keep that character uh, fresh and interesting in Deadpool's life when she can't really take part in Deadpool's life because of the things that he does? Um, she she couldn't. What what role could she have had in this movie that would have been um, propelling of the storyline, I guess. So three things here. The first thing is with regard to Uncle Ben dying and pushing the development of 
Peter Parker's story. The the whole problem with fridging is the sexist aspect of it, and the fact that it's it, it, the problem is that people have take issue with love interests of characters being put in compromising positions like being assaulted or murdered to advance a male character story because that's how it became a trope with with regard to the second part Gwen Stacy we had this conversation on the show before where perhaps at that time it was fine because it be, it did not become a trope yet it was relatively new in comic books and with regard to the third point that just sounds like lazy writing to think like well i don't know how we're going to position this character from the first film here so let's just kill her off and make her make make her the sub the the, the subject of ryan reynolds being sad and trying to learn a lesson which is something that shouldn't even be happening in deadpool to begin with right i think um specifically like in regards to the fridging conversation i think it's a problem because especially like for for so much of comic book history right like most leading characters are males. So the only female characters are generally love interests um, for superhero books anyway. And um, I think it just, it to, to that point, right? Like after um, Gwen Stacy, it very much became something that was, you know, it's, it's a well-known trope, right? We have a term to specifically describe a super, a male superhero's love interest being killed off to emotionally motivate him. Um, and I think that's the issue. I think if there were just as many, you know, if, if, if for all of comic book history, it had been more or less evenly gendered in terms of there are just as many female superheroes and their love interests get killed off to motivate them too. You know, I don't think it would be a problem. I don't think it would be like a thing that we would um, be looking at as sexist. But I think because of the way that comics were and have been traditionally written for so long, I think it, it was just kind of a, a lazy trope that emerged because it is a, a, it's a, it's a writing tool, you know, it's a storytelling tool. And, um, I think in some cases to your point, Sean, uh, I don't necessarily agree that it's lazy writing to get rid of a character that's outlived their usefulness. I think sometimes that's what you have to do. Um, and what are you going to do? Are they going to get divorced? You know, are you going to have the entire movie be about her sitting at home while he's out doing whatever he's doing? Like no matter what, she was going to become a plot device. It was either she's the person waiting at home worrying about him that he's worried about or she's dead and he's mourning her, you know? And Fuck, put her on the team. It doesn't make sense. Um, Nothing about the movie makes sense. Peter was on the team. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, you got that guy fucking Dave was on the team. Like I yeah. didn't see the movie and that doesn't make sense. And that, like, was, a, that was a joke and he dies right away. So yeah, let's bring Vanessa on the mission and she gets fucking killed right away. That'll work, guys. Like, come on. Then she would have just been a fucking uh, a, a thing for him to protect the whole movie and then there would have been a problem with that. Like, it's just, the reality is that she's a thin character because she's not a character, she's a plot device. She's the object of Deadpool's affection. So when that's your whole character... What do you do with them? It's different when it's somebody who is a character who like, like, uh, like Barbara Gordon, right? Like in Killing Joke. Like, that's a great example of like negative fridging because it's a character that people care about. They have a relationship to her. She's well defined and she's used as a plot device to further Batman and you know, Batman's story, you know? And like, I understand why people would be critical of it in that moment. Whereas in this moment, I am kind of more inclined to agree with Sean. It's like, why are you looking for substance in a fucking Deadpool movie? The characters are all paper fucking thin. So it's like, yeah, she's a plot device, but she was never not a plot device. There was a pegging scene that doesn't make her a three dimensional character. I, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm that that's I don't know, that's my take, and I know that it's not the the whatever PC take, um, but that's I I don't know. Ugh. Oh god. <laughs> I just, whoa, you did those air quotes and I got like shudders of rage. Like I felt, <laughs> oh, I felt a whole. I already gave you the PC uh, take. My name's Phil Casey. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that was good. Uh, but in, but it's an ongoing conversation and I think that uh, it's good that we're having it. It's just very hard to know where, where and when certain things are appropriate and where they're not and who the gatekeepers are that determine these things. Uh, but in any event, it's it's definitely a conversation that I'm uh, happy we're having. To brighten things up, uh, Marvel characters are becoming very popular, as we know. And no, what? So popular, in fact, that people are naming their children after these characters. Oh, Lord. Boo. <laughs> so, for example, there are some more obvious ones, like, for example, Parker, right? Um, so Steve. there were... 5,833 babies named Parker in 2017. That's such a 90s white kid name. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, Wade is another popular name. Uh, there were 899 babies named Wade in 2017. They were all male. And I should refer back to Parker and say that 1,487 of the Parker babies were female. So that's cool. So Huh, you know what? Babies. Wade is a female name. But that's not bad. I actually. love it. Yeah, maybe, I, I, kinda, I like cute. Parker as a girl's name too. Actually, for sure. That's just because you want to fuck Peter Parker. Pete, you know. All right. Uh, now <laughs> Natasha um, is also a, a name that's that's on the rise in popularity. Three hundred and fifty-five babies named Natasha in twenty seventeen, all female. I don't know how how come no one decided to name uh, their 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 uh, male. Children, Parker, or Natasha. Um, That's because they've been naming them Hawkeye. <laughs> you laugh. Uh, Pepper oh, is no. another name that's oh. uh, on the rise. 121 female Peppers, seven male Peppers. Huh. That's huh. interesting. That's weird. I don't know about that one for a boy. Comes across as a little a scrappy little newspaper comic kid. Yeah, right. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> like, my name's Pepper. I'm gonna kick your ass. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like that's an appropriate nickname for a young boy, but the idea of like a 45 year old man named Pepper, <laughs> unless his last name is Johnson. If he's like Pepper Johnson, then he sounds like a it's like Ace Reporter, like an old school gumshoe. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear an old boxer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Put, put some pepper on that one, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> now this one might surprise you. Loki oh. is another name that people have been using. In nope. fact, ninety-six that was not surprising. babies named Loki. Oh, Guys, shit. hold on, hold the phone. Five. Ninety-one male Lokis, five female Lokis. Listen, those 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 girls on Tumblr back in 2012, they're probably having children now, and Tom Hiddleston was probably a big motivator for them. When they conceive that child, that's true. I bet, I bet, I bet. Here soon, we're gonna see Valkyrie babies. <laughs> you ready for this? Valkyrie is a name uh, that oh was also popular in 2017. <laughs> Sixty-three, in fact, all female. Jesus Christ! Good. You know what? Hey, fucking good. Yeah, no. Don't name your don't name your boy babies Valkyrie. You have missed the point, Kale. Since you're so good at this game, why don't you take a stab at the next name? 
Uh, I won't take a stab at the next one, but I will take a stab at one. I bet they're Thor babies. All right. The next name is Marvel. 50 what? babies oh, from Marvel in 2017, 29 Ew. male, 21 female. In fact, uh, Fallout Boy's Pete Wentz named his child Marvel. That's so dumb. I will say, though, you can you can just call him Marv. That's pretty funny. Marv. <laughs> Marv Wentz. <laughs> true, true story. Uh, my grandmother's maiden name is Marvel. That's cool. Ah. As a last name, it's fucking cool. That's awesome. What's her first name? Uh, Ruby. Ruby? Her name is Ruby Marvel? That's a fucking awesome! It's her maiden name, so it's not Marvel anymore. Still, that's fucking cool as hell. (laughs) So Banner is another name. Uh, 39 babies named Banner, born in 2017, all male. Uh, This next one is just... Mm. Uh, Rocket. 37 babies named Rocket, 28 male, 9 female. I don't hate that one. Groot? How many Groots? I don't hate that one. How many like, Groots, Sean? You gotta, you'd call yourself Rocky, I guess. Ah, uh, yeah. Fuck no, man. Rocket's cool enough. In a couple years, we might start to see a lot of babies named Rabbit. That, that <laughs> might happen. Uh, Quill is another name. Uh, 15, Quill is not bad. Tw- 20, yeah. 20 babies named Quill, 15 male, 5 female. That's this is some millennial. I was gonna shit. say when when, yeah. when you said the thing about like nineties like prep baby like this is the that's the millennial prep baby quill. Yeah. That's yeah. that's some upper crust shit. <laughs> and the last one rounding out this whole deal is Hawkeye. Yes. No. <laughs> Hawkeye or or. <laughs> oh, this is a deep belly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Six babies named Hawkeye in 2017, all male. That's so fucking ridiculous. I can't believe there's not a Thor on there. Not a Thor. On not there. a one. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not surprised by what parents do. I just saw an article yesterday that uh, an Italian family named their kid Mussolini, and they got brought to court for it. <laughs> Whoops! Oh, parents yikes. will name their kids all kinds of weird shit. Oh, dude. Well, like you remember, like a couple years ago, at like the height of Game of Thrones popularity, it's like, oh, look at all these babies that were named Khaleesi, and I was like, what? Stop! Stop! Come on, Sean, guys. You're trying to kill the power of positivity in me right now. I could see it. You're 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 trying to drag it out of me. But listen, for years I've been under I've been under the opinion that when I have a firstborn son, he will be named Clark Casey. Ah. And how different is that really? I like that. It's good. That's a yeah. good one though. It's, yeah, know, that's the difference. Great. <laughs> uh so I wanted to ask you guys, given the given this whole gimmick, uh what Marvel character's name would you use, or it doesn't have to be Marvel, it could be DC as well, uh, would you use for your child? Phil, you already answered the question, so you're I've got I've got the name right. I'll just take I'll just take Marvel as my my own family name. <laughs> yeah, and then name your daughter Mary. Mary Marvel. Oh, no. that'd be good. Um so no, for, it wouldn't. for me, uh it's it's pretty easy. Like it's a bit of a cop out, but um so I for those of you who don't know. Are you gonna let me talk, oh, Peter? Uh, you can't use Pete, man. That's a name, regular he's name. Be Peter. You're naming the baby after the Family Guy <laughs> character instead of Spider-Man. <laughs> That's much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's got twins. It's gonna be Peter and Lois. 
You done? Listeners at home may not realize this, but Pete has a Brian Griffin tattoo on his arm that says rest in peace from when Brian Griffin died. He's a big family guy, but, Mark. Boy, that tattoo didn't go well. Oh, <laughs> I hate I hate all of you. Do you remember the text we got when Brian came back two weeks later? Oh my god. <laughs> Boy, was my face red. <laughs> Not as red as the sauce at the Olive Garden, which is the tattoo right next to the Brian Griffin tattoo on his bicep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, my full name <laughs> is Peter Joseph and Bessie the Third. It's uh, a family thing, it, like going as far back as we can trace that like the firstborn son in my family is named Peter. So I've always thought it would be good to break the chain for Joseph and do Peter Parker and Bessie. So that'd probably be mine. I'll pay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I'm back. Oh, my. Uh, Marco. Mine would be Emmy, uh, which would be a short, uh, a short name for Emiliano. Um which is from Harrow County. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, a comic. Okay. Well, like the, the Emmy bit is at least. I'm sorry for for shortchanging you here a bit, Marco. But I honestly thought you were gonna say Swamp Thing. Alec. Nor Alec. Oh, no. Alec's too white. It's too white. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Fair. You're right. Fair. Swampy Kunalada. Nah. Me and my girlfriend <laughs> have a thing where we can only make. Uh, we have to name them a, a Spanish name. How do you How do you say Swamp Thing in Spanish? That does that count? <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a mouthful. <laughs> say it, say well, it. Here. La cosa del pantano. <laughs> Do it. There that's you the go. That. That's the name. Nope. <laughs> nope. Every teacher that child has is going to be struggling from day one to day three sixty five. Oh wait, wait, wait! Just one more time for me. Can you say that and then just say your last name at the end? Do you, do you want to say my? So actually, me and Miranda were saying our full names. Uh, do it. So, yes. so do it. with that, mine would be. Uh, or it, the, the kids would be um, La Cosa del Pantano, Aníbal, Cunalatan, Nazario, Bustamante Cardona. What about that sounds bad? <laughs> All right, Kale, your turn. Try to pronounce that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Type it out for me real quick. Okay, here's what we're going to do. At the end of the show... Kale will pronounce that name. That's I'm going to type that out. I'm going to type it out. Type it out, and at the end of the show, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Agreed. I like uh, it. So for me, I've always wanted to name like if I if I had a kid, uh, uh, a girl, Jean, Jean Gray, of course. Um, or if it was a boy, Gray. Um, mm, you know, it's right. my favorite character. No, I like that. I like. <clears throat> that. I like Gray. Great. Yeah, Gray's not bad. Great Bartley is good. I, I've oh, Great Bartley good. is wow, good. It, it ain't gonna happen. Uh, so it was already vetoed on day vetoed. one. <laughs> good. Several times. Well, I guess we best. can't all have children. Like we can't all have children named after what we want. I mean, we can't all have Peter Griffin and Bessie the Fourth. <laughs> I thought you made a face turn, Phil. The Fourth. I know it's done. No, listen, it's, it's a positive done joke. He's <laughs> dirt. Oh, Phil, you've made a grand return. Woo! Uh, so, Analog is a comic by uh, writer Jerry Duggan and artist David O'Sullivan. And uh, it's one issue is, is out. Um, and it's going to be made a movie. Uh, it's an image, com- image comics book. And the director of John Wick, 
um, the directors, I guess, uh, Chad Steleski and Ryan Condal, uh, are going to be teaming up to make this, to make this movie. Um, so I read the first issue. It was all right. Um, it's an interesting story. It's essentially the story of a world in the future where, um, something called the great doxing happens and the entire internet is is just done because everyone's information, everyone's private information gets oh, right, exposed. Yeah. I remember this. Um and so people don't people don't try to hide things really anymore. Um unless they have a ledger men who is an agent like the main character in the book who carry the secrets that they have in briefcases. So it's like back to square one and otherwise you can't really hide anything because people know everything about you. Um, so it's an interesting idea, interesting story. I personally wasn't a fan of the execution so much, but uh, apparently Lionsgate and uh, and Chad loved it so much that they're going to make a movie about it. It's it's weird that like we're seeing so many really minor comics properties like this like getting picked up left and right now. Because um, <clears throat> even like even like Deadly Class was something where it's like oh the Russos are doing Deadly Class and it's like. I know Deadly Class, but it's not it, – it's not one of those books that I feel like has really penetrated the mainstream, you know? Um, so to like – about even smaller books – but we're seeing it left and right. It's happening. Like it's a hotbed for like new um, IP and stuff that's Ideas. fresh. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, and that, that sort of ties into what I was going to say is I, I wonder how they come across this, you know? Right. Like – did somebody pick up this issue and then approach Jerry Duggan with just like, they would just have to go to the studio with the pitch that's already out. Right. Well, I mean, Duggan's been, he's been a growing name. Like the, the long box boys talk about him a lot. He's done a lot within Marvel. He's been sort of like out, like his name is out there. I think more so It, it, it could just be that. I, I don't know, dude, like it's, it's possible, but I, I, I don't think it personally. Right. And this is, this is anecdotal. I, I don't – based on what I've seen with other properties, like like uh, Descender, right? I remember I mentioned this I think a week or two ago. Descender was had its movie rights acquired by Lionsgate or WB or somebody huge before the first issue was even on a shelf. And like there's, you know um, – uh, 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 oh my god, I'm blanking on the, the creative team. But both of them are y- – yeah. Oh, Jeff Lemire and, and then, um, uh, Dustin and, Wynn. No, thank you. Um, and both of them, both of them are like their names, but I don't, I don't think that's what it is. I think it, it's that there's somebody at these organizations whose job it is to snap up IP and they're paying attention to image or whatever. No, it's like, you oh. know what? Actually, you're absolutely right. I, uh, when I worked at the strand, I actually like uh, a woman, uh, asked me for help because uh, I, you know, uh, little known fact about the uh, the strand <clears throat> they don't like you to have a specialty um, but mine was comics um, that's why I didn't last very long so, they, um, so I was working in the comics and I was helping a, a lady and she she was asking if I you know if I knew a lot about comics and if you know where where would be a good place to start on so you told her no right you lied and said you did so so I gave her so I showed her to the Marvel and the DC shelf and I walked away. Um no, I so I I pointed her to, you know, stuff like um um 
uh, I think Deadly Class might have been one of them. Um, fuck. There's there's another one that I always recommend that I can't Swamp Thing. think of what it's called now. No, never Swamp Thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but she, her, she said her job is like she was the secretary of some of people who take IPs like that and you know they're always looking for new ideas and yeah comic books and graphic novels then and I'm sure now you know this was 2014 or 15 or something uh, are a hotbed of you know just ideas that you know are new good twists on things yeah and I think a lot of people are looking to get they're looking to find their walking dead you know like yeah. oh it's this indie book that's got some groundswell around it and it's like even when there's not groundswell, it's the idea of like, all right, let's buy the rights to Descender. And <clears throat> if it's good, like if it ends up being a big thing, we got the rights while they were cheap. If it's not a big thing, maybe we can make the movie and make it a thing. I wonder if they do yeah. that at like the announcement. You know, they comb the announcements for stuff that sounds interesting. They, and then they, they must just fucking try and be, snap right? It up. Like they must yeah. be. Unless there's somebody at Image who's trying to make partnerships like that. But I don't think that's the case. Because, like, I remember I, – I This book I, only has one issue. Right, right. Um, and, and, again, in Descender's case, not even one issue. Um, and I remember I interviewed Dustin about it at New York Comic Con a couple years ago uh, for a different outlet. And um, I asked him about it, and he's like, we don't know anything about it. Like, we, like when it actually happens, we are attached as producers, so we're going to be brought in to consult and stuff like that. But in terms of the deal and how it was made and all that shit, like, all I did was agree to do it. You know, I was like, yep, sounds good. Let's go. So listen, fellas, you know me, I'm Phil the Thrill, sleazy Hollywood executive. I've been out of ideas for years, and so have my compatriots, and we're constantly going to comics books looking for ideas to poach. Because listen, over in Hollywood, we're plumb out of ideas. You must be out of ideas if you're going that low. In any event, congratulations, I suppose, to... Uh, the creative team behind this book, and uh, we'll see how this develops and if this movie will even get made. Uh, it does have the kind of premise that makes sense for a, a movie, uh, so we'll see. Could be good. Could be good. So, uh, Zack Snyder, we talked about him a little bit earlier, and what, what what's coming out now is what his uh, ultimate plans were for the DC film universe uh, post-Justice League. So, um, Jay Olivia, or Oliva, rather, who directed the two-part animated feature The Dark Knight Returns, and who also Ooh, nice. provided storyboard art for several of the DC films, um, including Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, all that jazz, says that uh, Zack Snyder originally had a five-film plan for the DC film universe that would have... Um, resolved all of the arcs set up from the beginning of Man of Steel in a final film, uh, the title of which was never released. So the idea is that we were going to get Man of Steel, Batman, Superman, Justice League 1 and 2, and then a final movie that, according to Jay, would have resolved everybody's arcs. Uh, now, of course, Zack Snyder never got to live this out because after the uh, underperformance of Batman, Superman... Uh, and the heavy, heavy backlash from that movie and, of course, Man of Steel, um, <laughs> plans changed. And Justice League was carved up and made into one film instead of two. Plans for a second movie were completely shuttered. And Zack Snyder is on the outs. 
uh, and uh, appears to be completely done with Warner Brothers. And uh, it even turns out, based on conversations on Vero, that social media platform that is going nowhere fast, uh, that he hasn't even seen Justice League. So, very interesting. And the reason I bring it up is because more and more things come out, and I'm really curious as to what these films would have looked like. Listen, the word martyr... It's not used enough, but when I think of Zack Snyder, the word martyr is the one that comes to mind because we all know that director's cut of Justice League would have been the best movie of 2017. And here we are, sitting in rhetoricals and what-ifs because we'll never know. Ugh, oh my I God. don't feel, I don't, the only thing, the only news I feel like this announcement has is that there was a fifth movie that tied everything together. I, I, I feel like everything else we pretty much already knew, right? Sure. Uh, but but again, the reason that it's interesting is because, like I said, there was a plan. There is a plan from the beginning to resolve everything. You can clearly see from Justice League that he was trying. I mean, obviously, Joss Whedon had a big hand in Justice League. But you can clearly see that he was trying to to redeem the Superman character. He was trying to get him to where we know him to be from the from the comics and from other media uh but he started with him in a different place than we're used to and i really wonder what that final film would have been and where it would have taken uh superman in in particular do we do we know that though because i feel like all the good superman scenes and Justice League were Joss Whedon scenes where it made him come off as much more uh, Superman-like, where he's carrying a bus and he um, talks about hope and shit. Or like, like the race, like those kinds of things. Those all feel like Joss Whedon moments, not Zack Snyder ones. But, yeah. But I think I – and I'm, I don't know that I necessarily agree with this, but I think the argument there would be that he – Snyder killed him to sort of uh, reinvent the character and sort of turn him more toward the the Superman we know. It in theory, that Superman would be more like the Superman we got, but I don't think that's who it would have ended up being. Sure, well, yeah, you're you're exactly right, Kale. What what he was trying to do, and you can tell this even in Batman Superman, is he was trying to to make Superman into this figure that people revered. Uh, the movie clearly showcases people like worshiping him, uh, people reaching out and drawing. Uh, there was a flood, a massive flood or a tsunami or whatever, and people are writing, uh, Superman save us, and he comes and saves them in a very Jesus-like manner, all this stuff. And then at the end, um, he dies, and there's this whole sad thing. Um, so obviously, he was trying to get him to that place. And I'm not one who believes at all that the the Superman we saw in Justice League was purely from the mind of Joss Whedon. I don't believe that. I believe that uh, Zack Snyder had a vision um, that included a version of Superman that was different than the one that we'd been getting and that uh, Joss Whedon came in and peppered that up. He peppered up everything. Um, but I believe that Zack Snyder had that goal. To, to what you were saying uh, about Superman and something that uh, Bob uh, McLeod brought up when uh, Phil interviewed uh, interviewed him at, at Wizard World was that they they're trying to make him into a god figure where he where you're that doesn't make him relatable you you can't you can't do that with Superman because he's 
otherwise there's no connection of tissue there like you you don't feel for that because he's this incredible super powered whatever dude right that that doesn't mean anything to anybody necessarily you need to have those smaller moments like the bus you need to have those smaller moments where it's like hey he's he's just a person who happens to have these gifts that make him special which we can relate to being like hey i'm normal but there's something about me that is special yeah right oh my god hold stop 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 that was the best moment in the show's history Marco got Superman. I get him now. Phil, I told, ever since we, I reread All-Star Superman, I think I get him. Oh, my God. Yeah, go check out our book club. Because um, I was going to say, that was one of the things that, that Phil has like, often reiterated about Superman is that, like, what makes Superman special isn't... I mean, obviously, his powers make him special, but it's not that. It's that Clark Kent is such an exceptional man. You know, it's that he's, he's a, a genuinely good-natured, uh, kind, honest person. You know, and that's what makes him... Superman, you know, otherwise he could be anything. He could be a zealot. The century. You sure. Um, I didn't mean to, like, I said zealot and then he said century, so it sounds bad, but. <laughs> well, I, I, this is my final thought on this. I understand that people are sour on Zack Snyder's vision. I think that overall was a fail, but I am genuinely curious, maybe morbidly curious about what he would have done. And I personally was invested in the story of Superman from Man of Steel. Um, I wanted to see where that was going to go. And it kind of sucks that that's not going to happen. So what you're telling our listeners right now is that you are joining the forces of release the director's cut of Justice League. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no. no. Not at all. Let's uh, nip that right in the bud. I don't yeah. co-sign that. But uh, I've I've said many times that I like Man of Steel. Right, right, yeah. Um you said you even liked it more than Wonder Woman. Um So yeah. And, I mean you're wrong you're wrong for that, and that's an opinion that I mean you're welcome to, but it's shitty and Wonder wrong. Wonder Woman is one of the most overrated superhero movies oh, of all time. Alright. Oh, 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 let's oh, back oh, it up. Let's oh, back oh. it up here. Let's back it up. I don't need we don't need to argue oh, with Sean, Sean about his crazy opinions. Physical fight. Um, We're, I'm gonna reach Kale, into my computer and punch him in the mouth. Anytime you want to come to New York, buddy, we can do that. <laughs> we'll throw down. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't say that I'm disappointed to hear this. Like, I am, I am not a fan of Zack Snyder. Um, even his quote unquote like good movies, not. I'm not a fan. Um, I, I just, I think he's a pretty good cinematographer. Like, I, I think there are times where like his style works for that is like comic book aesthetic, but, um, I don't like, I don't think he understands superheroes. You know, like he's, he said how he, when he was growing up, he wasn't interested in superheroes. He always thought they were kind of silly. And that like to him, Watchmen is like the ultimate superhero story. Um, but Watchmen is a deconstruction of superheroes. And I don't think that somebody who's, only real relationship to superheroes is a deconstruction of superheroes is a good person to helm Superman. Because Superman is not a deconstruction. <laughs> Trying to deconstruct Superman is a silly It's idea. a bad idea. Like, and I, it can be done in comics and has, but I don't think it works. In Yeah, in theory, it's a good idea. And, and even in practice, it's a good idea. It's not a good idea for that character. And, and I also think it's just, I don't, 
I don't think Zack Snyder, he's not the kind of director I want to see make superhero movies. Like, and even like his, his non-superhero stuff, right? But even if you look at his comic book stuff, like 300, like he's very into these very hyper-masculine kind of like, you know, ubermensch kind of like, you know, I just, it doesn't speak to me. Like that, that doesn't appeal to me at all. And, um. Can, can I make an amendment on what you just said? Yeah. Uh, I'm not interested in seeing Zack Snyder make movies. I agree. Like, I really am. Like, I'm, I, he's great at fucking, like, casting, and, like, he could be an EP. Like, he did that for Wonder Woman, fine. But, like, I just am really not a fan of him as a director. So, the less I see from him attached to properties that I care about, the better. I side more with Pete. I think I am surprisingly also on the side of Sean. I would I would entertain the pitch. <laughs> Sean's clutching his pearls. <gasps> I would entertain the pitch. I'd be interested to see what he had in mind. I wouldn't watch the movie. <laughs> I agree with that. But I would I would I would entertain the pitch. I'd I'd read his Twitter explanation of the whole thing. Yeah. That's that's about as far as I'll give him. Yeah. <laughs> So, for the main topic, we're going to be talking about the massive, massive news about the HBO Watchmen series. Uh, so, obviously, we heard reports about this show uh, many months ago. We talked about it, but we didn't know exactly what it would be. And uh, now, we know that it's going to take place in the modern day, present day. Um, so, obviously, that in and of itself is a massive shocker. Because I think most of us probably just assumed that it would take place, uh, you know, in the past. There would be a retelling of the Watchmen series or maybe a look at that same time frame but through a different lens uh, with different characters. We saw that, you know, the casting was a little off, didn't make much sense as far as, like, what kinds of people they were looking to cast for the for the show. But, again, uh, now we know. I mean. <clears throat> go ahead. You know. I think I think it makes sense because right now we're as close to min to midnight as we have ever been. Not funny, but true. that's an excellent point. Um, Dark but real, and we're gonna we're gonna address that. So Damon Lindelof has been raked over the coals since this came out. He took to Instagram to write a very long, uh, not apology, but sort of I guess explanation uh, for where he's coming from. And uh, I'll read this. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read some of it. And I want to hear what you guys think about this. <clears throat> Hello there. My name is Damon Lindelof, and I'm a writer. I am the also the unscrupulous bastard currently defiling something that you love. But that's not all that I am. <clears throat> he goes on to... Sorry? I don't like this already. <laughs> he goes on to detail a whole story about how his father first introduced him to Watchmen. <clears throat> uh, I am 38. A man offers me the opportunity to adapt Watchmen for television. The filmed adaptation came out less than a year ago, but that doesn't matter. I tell him I am not interested and that perhaps he should let sleeping dogs lie with hopes they will eventually be run over by a car tire, bursting their stomachs. He does not get the reference. I am watching my father haggle with a man in a wheelchair. I am 15 years old, and we are at a comic book convention in New York City. Long before attending a comic book convention was something anyone wanting to ever have sex with another person would admit. 
I definitely want to have sex with another person. My father finally harangues the merchant down to $30 for a guaranteed authentic screenplay of Watchmen, soon to be a major motion picture. Now, he reads aloud from the script as the Watchmen battle terrorists at the Statue of Liberty. Something is wrong. The old man's brow furrows. Scanning the text in a mixture of disappointment and rage, a child who has just been told that Santa didn't bring him presents this year, then robbed the house and beat up his parents. What the fuck is this? My father mutters. It is the first time he swears in front of me. Another man offers me the opportunity to adapt Watchmen for television. I am 40 now. I tell him someone else asked me to do this a year ago, and I declined. He inquires as to why I said no. I tell him that Alan Moore has been consistently explicit in stating that Watchmen was written for a very specific medium, and that medium is comics. Comics that would be ruined should they be transitioned into moving images. The, uh, the another man pauses for a moment, then responds, who's Alan Moore? <clears throat> I am 23 and living in Los Angeles. My father flies out from New Jersey for my birthday and gives me a present, a new edition of the graphic novel that is Watchmen. He explains to me that this is the publisher's way of retaining the rights to the characters. He tells me that Dan and Adrian and John and Walter and Lori are all serfs, working the land for a feudal lord that will never grant them freedom. My father is more than a little drunk. More so, he is a hypocrite for buying me the new edition. I know, I know, he says. That same mischievous glint from years ago, obscured by now thicker lenses. But it's so goddamned good. And that's how he ends it. Uh, So, uh, he goes on to say, at another time, we have no desire to adapt the 12 issues Mr. Moore and Mr. Gibbons created 30 years ago. Those... Issues are sacred ground, and they will not be retread, nor recreated, nor reproduced, nor rebooted. They will, however, be remixed, because the bass lines in those familiar tracks are just too good, and we'd be fools not to sample them. Those original 12 issues are our Old Testament. When the New Testament came along, it didn't erase what came before. Watchmen was specific to the 80s of Reagan and Thatcher and Gorbachev. Ours needs to resonate with the frequency of Trump and May and Putin, and the horse he rides around on, shirtless. So, with all that being the grand statement of Damon Lindelof about why they're doing this this way, lending credence to what Kale said earlier about us being closer to midnight than ever before, do you guys think that this is the right approach to Watchmen? Is this the way to tell this story uh, again? I think the passage you read sort of changed my purview on it because I I sort of thought – like moving it up into the future, it won't be that story, and it won't be that. It essentially it won't be that that translation that that a lot of us are looking for, right? But that statement, and then the statement towards the end about having that needed reflection in the current time with like the current with the, the current climate, I think was an important one and one that sort of changed my mind on this specifically because he had also said in that in that passage he, he was basically writing it that passage sort of like a. Uh, a, 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 a oh my god a dr manhattan right like right so um so fine we get it he he can he can get that style okay sure but there was something towards the end that he had said that they looking at it and at, it, at its importance and then trying to make sure that it doesn't what he said about the old testament and the new testament the new testament came in but didn't rewrite the history so if if he is going to tell a story where this 
where Watchmen is one that is political as much as it is a deconstruction of the of, of the medium, uh, or at least a commentary on on politics, bringing it to the to the current time, stating that he wants to remix it, which was I thought a a really good analogy, and uh, also bringing that and not wanting to step on the old. I think those things sort of coalesce and everything is like, hey, maybe this guy. Sure, people are shitting on him, but maybe he has a point and maybe he has something to say here that won't necessarily interfere with what people love about the series, but rather just take in a, in a new lens, rework it for something that is contemporary that people can connect to the same way that people did of that, the contemporaries of that time connected with the book. He's walking on murky eggshells here. I think obviously... When you reimagine source material reflected in a new artistic vision, it could turn out really well. I think of the movie The Shining, which I personally like more than a novel by Stephen King. Uh, Stanley Kubrick had his own interpretation of that novel, and <clears throat> I mean Stephen King hates that movie because it's so it's such a departure from what he wrote. But the film is arguably the greatest horror film ever made. Uh, but that came from the helm of arguably the greatest director of all time, right? So when you do something like this, it's experimental. I respect the artistic vision of trying to do something innovative. But at the same time, a thought keeps creeping in my head. And I know the answer partially, but why call it Watchmen? Obviously, That's there's right. brand recognition. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Why not just do something different? Or do something similar enough, but change the characters. And obviously, there's brand recognition. Watchmen is uh, charged with being the most uh, acceptable grown-up funny book there is. Um, but, again, it seems like he's taking the themes of it and, reapp and reapplying it. Reappropriating it to his vision. And I think that's a double-edged sword. And um, it will, for me, it will really depend on how daft he is as a, as a, as a, as a creator of film content. And I mean that uh, in the sense of him filming anything, in this case, a TV show. Um, we don't know if he's Stanley Kubrick, but frankly, who is? Well, I mean, no, he's not Stanley Kub Kubrick, but he is Damon Lindelof. Like, he made Lost. He, you know, he had a huge hand in the, you know anything he does with jj abrams for me it's just it's it's like i said like why watchmen why not damon lindelof presents something you know else wrist guys i you know i don't know it's because they want to well, first of all they want to have their cake and eat it too right they want sure. that watchman sure. name attached because yes. more people will watch it but i also think it's because the the core of watchman is something that really resonates right now and they can use those characters as a springboard like hey all this crazy stuff it really happened so here's this alt history right that's unbelievable fantastical um, and here's the aftermath. One of the things that's so fascinating to us about Doomsday Clock is certainly the fact that we get to see what happened after Watchmen. Uh, and this is going to give us a glimpse even further into the future of that universe, obviously divorced from Doomsday Clock. Um, 
But that's that's the appeal. And I think that's also the appeal for anyone who will watch this. But that's also what's driving the negativity. Because it's unlikely to include lots of the characters who we know and love. That, that's, that's another thing entirely, for sure. And I don't want to... I don't want to dwell on the, the fanboy aspect because with Watchmen, people are hypersensitive about I agree. things. Yeah. We, we did an episode on Doomsday Clock uh, when they announced it, and obviously that half our show at first was skeptical for, for obvious reasons because that book is held in such reverence. And I'm thinking about it more. Watchmen isn't just a transcendent book in this medium. Watchmen is the 1980s culture as something like Animal Farm is to 1940s culture. It, 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 it encapsulates an entire era. And when you try to reappropriate that to embody something that's happening now, and you can draw from a historically significantly, from a historical narrative, you can draw parallels between what's happening now as what happened in the 80s, the mass conservative movement uh, ad nauseum. But Again, to take something that is so culturally significant as the Watchmen and try to do something completely, not completely new, but relatively completely new, that's, it's, that's a huge gamble. I struggle to think that it's a gamble because I think that there are a lot of people who will watch this because of what it is. I can speak for myself. It, it, it doesn't matter what they do. I'm going to watch it. Uh, and, yeah. you know... I'm a mark. I've, we've we've established. I I will watch whatever it is, <laughs> uh, and then if it's bad, I'll turn the television. But for they have me at at hello, and then we'll see yeah. what happens. And I think that that's what they're banking on. Damon Lindelof is somebody who has created uh, a lot of um, a lot of shows and movies that people are attached to. Um, that's very true. Lost, The Leftovers, recently on HBO. Um, the Star Trek movies he was involved in, uh, Prometheus. Uh, so he's done a lot of things that people care about. To me, his ability as a creator is not—it's not in question. What's 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 in question is: Do we need this? Can this really be? Can this really live up to the spirit of what Watchmen was? Phil, you eloquently described what it was for the '80s. Can it be that for now? Is it possible? That's that's my conundrum as well. And while he is an accomplished series creator, I don't think Lost, Lost was in the zeitgeist of the 2000s for sure, in a way like a show like Breaking Bad was. And that's not to diminish it at all. And your mileage on that show may vary because there's a lot of people who you know they think Lost tapered off. It, it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential because... When you do something like this and you reimagine it for a modern audience, another example in the negative that came to mind was Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, where he tried to, and, and also to an, uh, great, the Great Gatsby, where he tried to take time, Great Gatsby in the way Animal Farm and Watchmen were to their heirs, Great Gatsby encapsulates uh, the 1920s uh, kind of uh, laissez-faire, like, live-in-the-present kind of attitude. And uh, Baz Luhrmann saw that in the YOLO movement in, like, 2012 and thought, there's parallels. And that movie didn't turn out very well. Um, and he... <laughs> what? He, he, what was he, he associated the laissez-faire attitude of the 20s with the YOLO movement of the tw of 2012. Well, 
let me let me re-explain. I guess I, I probably just didn't do it a service. He was saying that in the twenties, people lived in the moment, did not care about the consequences. It led to depression, and people just lived for themselves. And he saw what was happening in the early two thousands with like I mean, you see it in Time Magazine, Generation Me. That's like what a lot of people call like our generation. They saw that materialism of the twenties reflected in our generation. Like that's not like that you is know, a thing. Yolo. <laughs> yeah, or as 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 eloquently put, YOLO. Um, so, like, even though you can draw historical comparisons between a culturally significant piece and what's happening now, it, 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 like I said, it's got to be something that's got to have to be handled really uh, delicately. I think to answer your question, Sean, um, I don't think it can be. Uh, that, that thing you asked, right? Like, can it be something that's wholly representative of our time? I don't think it can because um, Watchmen was that for the 80s. And I think that we can maybe take Watchmen and take the spirit of Watchmen and apply that to something um, new and fresh and modern. And, and I don't think that that's impossible. But I think for it to be something that is so wholly indicative of the times, it would have to be something new. Um because Watchmen isn't new, and no matter how much you change it, it's still it's. I feel like it's impossible to get away from its roots entirely without doing the opposite of what he said he's trying to do. You know, like we we want to use what made Watchmen good to to make relevant commentary about what's happening now, not you know step on what came before, right? And I think with that spirit in mind, how can it be representative of our time while also being totally severed from that time? I don't know that it can. Because I don't think it has to be severed from that time. I think the idea is that these these characters, what they went through, what happened, is what informs the present of the story in the literal sense of what's happening in the story. But what but what these characters are dealing with in the now is representative of what we're dealing with in the real world, similar to how Watchmen was yeah, they were dealing with whatever they were dealing with, but it was a commentary on our real life. Did, Sean, did you ever read V for Vendetta? Yeah. What, do you think the movie reflected adequately what was happening in like 2005 America as, as uh, uh, V for Vendetta did in 19, early 80s, late 70s British uh, United Kingdom? So I don't know enough about the historical context to, to really like speak to that part. But to the part of it representing what was going on right now, I think that the way that people reacted to that movie – to, to me tells me yes um the the reaction to that film was so intense the mask right how many people were rocking that mask um it, isn't that like um what are they symbol called? for anonymous anonymous thank you anonymous right like that inspired culture so so I would absolutely say yes and that's a that's another example of a more property that was relevant in a certain time that then became relevant again in a in a, in a sort of remix. So yeah, no, that's why I brought it up because I, I think that's a per, I think that's a pertinent comparison. Even though uh, V from Vendetta had a lot of the symbolism of, of of the novel, of the graphic novel, which we don't know what they're going to do visually for this 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 HBO series. Maybe it can be done. I I think my like my last thing with this is is uh, HBO. I I trust this coming from from them from a production yeah. standpoint, from a directorial standpoint, from a writing standpoint. Like they. The series that they produce are well executed. Uh, they're well written, and it's just like overall, 
there's talent everywhere involved in this. And I don't think that they're, they're going to be ones to want to not damage, but make sour the past. Well, especially when like you got to think about it, man. Like they're in the business of making money. Watchmen is a huge right. property. There's a big opportunity here for this to be a big hit for them, especially with the superhero boom the way it is. Um, but it's interesting because uh, I I remember I said when I think we on the episode where we talked about this news breaking for the first time that I actually felt like it was a good time for Watchmen to come back because of how saturated superhero media is and that the idea of a meaningful deconstruction yeah. uh, mm-hmm. could probably be as valuable now as it was in 1985. Um, so it's it's weird because my initial reaction to this was like, what? You know, and not rage, but like, why? Why would you do that? And hearing what he's saying here, though he goes about it in a pretty long, convoluted way, uh, it resonates with me. I think that analogy that Marco pointed out where he said that it's like a sample, I really like that. Um, because you think about sampling in, um, I mean, in any kind of music, but like, let's use like hip hop as an example, right? Um, where it originated. Uh, I feel like the idea of like when you listen to a lot of um, like, you know, mid 90s hip hop and there was a lot of jazz sampling. Right. And it's like we're not making jazz like we're honoring jazz, you know, and it's like we're, we're taking something old and recontextualizing it to make it something new. And it's it has that flavor. It is taking from that tradition and what works about that. But it's not that at all. It's so different. And I think that's easy to say. Uh, And I think with music, that's obviously a little bit different. Like auditory and visual mediums are a little bit easier to be referential in, um, in a way that I think is uh, not exploitative, uh, exploitative. But that's the attitude he's going into it with. I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I I can't say that I'm pro or against it. I haven't seen what he's done. But that attitude to me, thinking about, so Watchmen is great. Watchmen is this, it's this holy text. It's whatever you want to call it. I, as much as I have said in the past, I don't, I don't think people should touch it. Maybe it shouldn't be untouchable. And maybe trying to do something new rather than um, retread it or do a, panel by panel recreation or something like that. Maybe that's more in the spirit of the brand because Watchmen was about doing something new and taking something old and recontextualizing it in the first place. That's what Watchmen was, you know, um, taking the uh, Charlton characters and, and reimagining them. And maybe we can do that with the Watchmen characters too. That's interesting, Pete. That's actually a really good point. I also want to uh, add to that. You kind of glanced over this point, but Marco and you had alluded to your confidence in HBO as a distributor uh, to sell this as a concept. You could say I have an idea for a Watchmen show and obviously any network or service would be like, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's going to that's going to that that you could sell that on face value. But to sell it with this pitch. Like, if you're an executive, you're thinking, like, oh, I don't know. Like, that sounds risky, obviously, because you're, like, like if, you, if you're a smart executive, presumably, like, the ones at HBO, you are aware of the climate of fans wanting what the fans want. 
So to pitch it like this and for HBO to go, yeah, you know what? That sounds good. Maybe there's something to it in terms of quality. I think especially given the context of Game of Thrones, that like they have a property that like their biggest show is an adaption of a very popular book series. And every time they Westworld. That's true too. Um, And every time they deviate from Game of Thrones, there's anger. So the idea that they would be like, hey, we could do the same thing and just make a Watchmen show. Like, that would be the easy choice. What a nutty notion. Oh, let's do the same thing and make a Watchmen show. Right. Go on. Um, I think you're probably right. Like, this pitch muddies things. It creates the possibility for negative PR, for negative spin, for backlash. So if they're willing to do that, I, I have to imagine that the vision is clear and that they believe in it. And I hadn't thought of that, but I, I think there's probably something to that, Phil. And and I think to to your earlier point, Pete, also, like, this is a deconstruction of comics and one that hasn't been seen and is probably, at, maybe at this point, like, necessary. I, we've had superhero movies since two, 2000, no, earlier, like 2000, 1999, whenever X-Men came out. For forever. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, like in, the in terms of, like, of them, eighty nine Batman. Yeah, yeah. So like, maybe this is also just a, one of those things that is needed in in order to like it's time and it's time to then advance them a bit. If if that may, if if they can make that what it what the book was. See, that's that brings up a whole other uh, sort of angle because he's not saying that this is going to be that. He's not saying this sure. is going to be a deconstruction of the of the genre again. He's saying we're making the you know whatever happens in 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 the future of Watchmen, right? Like, will this serve as the the modern day deconstruction of the superhero genre, or is it just going to be more stories in that world that are meant to reflect and speak to our current world? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see because one of the things I've been thinking about is like how are we going to be reimagining things? Because like I was thinking like, you know, like um, the idea of Rorschach, right? Being this like he's right wing, he's homophobic, he has this journal that he gives to an outlet that's like basically like a Breitbart, you know, it's like is that – what we're going to do? Like, is he going to be like a conspiracy blogger instead of having a journal? You know, is it going to be a modernization of these existing characters or is it going to be moving forward in the timeline where those things have already happened? No, it's it's definitely those things have already happened. This is a okay. present day. Those things happened. They're in the past. What happened after? Okay. Okay. Boy, it's going to make things really weird in season two when Doomsday Clock happens. <laughs> What's Marionette showing up? <laughs> I, I sort of want to shift gears backwards just a little bit. Um, Phil, you, you asked Sean whether or not V for Vendetta, the movie, was reflective enough of the 70s and 80s similar to the book. The Thatcher what, era. What, 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 what's your answer to that question? I don't know how I feel. Um, Alan Moore wrote V for Vendetta – in response to what he saw as a growing fascist movement in the United Kingdom. And that wasn't un- that wasn't an unpopular opinion either. I mean, that was what birthed a lot of uh, UK punk, too. It was a response to 
perceived totalitarianism in the United Kingdom. Um, when the V from Vendetta film came out, there was a lot of commentary on Bush era, like the Bush doctrine in general, like the uh, invasion of Iraq and um, the response of, of growing terrorist uh, measures and government using that as like a means to like indoctrinate people into trusting the government. And I think Sean might be right in the fact that it was effective, at least in a cultural sense, because the whole notion of anonymous, these people wearing these Guy Fox masks, are people who are so paranoid of, of government and that, like, that the institution of government. Like, I, I'm not going to commentate on the, on, on the virtue of that, but... Uh, or the quality of the film necessarily either, but I think Sean's right in the sense that both were effective in what it did to its audience. I think I think to that Phil also like the the I think it was translated because to get that in the aftermath the 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 book does like it ends with basically V as a character and as is an idea and those ideals only need to be planted as a seed before yeah, they, right. they grow and they expand. So like I, I think that that hundred percent worked. It it was that seed that was planted that spawned the rest. That's a phenomenal point, Marco. Yeah, like you're like and you're totally right because you can see it. It's tangible. Like the guy Fox yeah. mask is iconic and not right. because of V for Vendetta. You know, the the iconography of that book has grown beyond the source material, you know, like it, it embodies the message of the source material. And you, there are people who see that symbol and and don't even know what V for Vendetta is, but know what it means and what it represents. Right. And that's insane. That, and that, that, that goes back to Guy Fox the man, too. Um, like the whole that he that face is a charged symbol for for political instability. So I, I guess um, my my last question or point um is uh, going going back a little bit to the, the the angle of does it need to be a deconstruction of superhero comics? I think we as fans of comics understand the context enough to know what Alan Moore was trying to do. But I think that there's a lot of people who have read Watchmen that have no idea that that's what he was going for. And so... I question that's a good point the the responsibility of this show to do that given the fact that the original did that succeeded but it its success is a quiet success because only we know that that was what was going on the book is so successful but the actual like message the goal on that level was subtext for most people didn't it didn't it didn't hit them it went over their heads yeah, I, I totally agree, Sean. To that point, you look at how many people, especially younger people, um, look at Rorschach as the hero of the story. Yeah, for sure. That, and yeah. it, it's if, if that is your interpretation of Watchmen, cough, Zack Snyder, um, you don't understand Watchmen. <laughs> you've, you've missed the point. Uh, so I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I, I don't know that the show's responsibility is to do that. Um but I hope it tries. What is what is it that the show should try to actually do? We I think Marco very eloquently summarized what the character of V and V for Vendetta is. He's a symbol. And that's like the takeaway from the end of that book. If you're gonna loosely adapt 
Watchmen into this HBO series, what is the that core element that they should really try to translate? Obviously, you can get the 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 setting aspect. It's, it, it, you can make the the the, the, the illusion that twenty tens Western society is identical to eighty society, but that's that's not the core of Watchmen. That's that's allegory. Well, I think I think the problem with that um, line of questioning is like it's hard to say when we don't really know what's going on with the the adaption because. Uh, to Sean's point, right? Like, if this isn't a deconstruction of superheroes, it's not really Watchmen. Because Watchmen, so much of it is political commentary about the time. And I think you can do that without deconstructing superheroes. But that's also a big part of Watchmen. Like, Alan Moore's original intent with Watchmen was to write a deconstruction of the superhero, not to write political commentary about 80s culture. That just happens to be another one of the major themes within the work. And no, I know that, but Sean is saying that not everyone gets the deconstruction part. Sure. They, they're able to uh, appreciate the the magnitude of it. Hell, I, I imagine it's on like the New York Times top 100 novels yeah, of the 20th century is. or whatever. Most of those people that assemble that list probably never read a comic book, right? So that's my question. And you're right. We, I mean, you don't know, but that's why I'm asking you from a theoretical standpoint. What is it that it needs to be to be Watchmen? Are, so wait, are, are you asking that? What message from the book should be extrapolated and yes. similarly extrapolated from the adaptation? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. And I think I think even with that context, it's tough to say because I don't I don't know that like based on what I've read, um, what Moore has to say about Watchmen and the development of the the story, I don't really know how much he was trying to say about superheroes by deconstructing them. I think he was doing it as an exercise because he had done that with um, Miracle Man and it, it had yielded good creative results. And I think what the book is actually like message-wise trying to get across is the stuff it has to say about politics. But I don't know that that's like the, like, is that the main goal of Watchmen? So here's the problem. The problem is that people's vision of what Watchmen is is different depending on the person. Yeah. There are some yeah. people who you ask what is Watchmen about, they're going to tell you it's a deconstruction of superhero comics. There are other people who you ask, they're going to tell you it's about politics. And there are other people who you ask, they're going to tell you it's about where society was at at the time. There's there's so many different answers that are all right in a sense that you really like what should what should it be? It should be the tone and the tenor of the book extrapolated and interpreted and placed in a modern context in a television show. That's what it should be. The 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 specifics don't necessarily matter because that's whatever the story ends up being. But the 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 sticking point for me is that the idea of the deconstruction of the superhero is something that you to, in my opinion basing a show on that is not what okay so what you know like you, deadpool was that how many people do you think came out of that theater thinking wow i really have a whole new vision about superhero movies now that i saw deadpool 2 nobody 
like a small fraction of the audience. To counter that though, I agree with you, but I think that's because Deadpool's a comedy. I think Logan is a subversion of, of superhero tropes and that was super effective and it resonated with people in a huge way because I think, especially with the character of like Wolverine, who we as, you know, we the collective, we our generation, have a relationship to Wolverine as a character, but also Hugh Jackman's portrayal of Wolverine, seeing that character that we've seen as invincible, uh, healing, maybe a surrogate father, or whatever um age and decay and die was powerful because it was a deconstruction of superheroes and what they're supposed to represent and i think you saw how much that resonated with a lot of uh like veterans older men like who who are dealing with with that decay of their body and i think you can do that that can be enough but only if people have the relationship to superheroes but no one but but i haven't read that commentary widespread anywhere that really? commentary of Logan as a deconstruction of the superhero genre. That's huh. that's that's something that maybe some people got out of it, but I haven't read that as like the – that's not what the movie is about is what I'm trying to say. De- Deadpool was about that and it went yes. over people's heads. Logan is not about that. I think you can interpret Logan as a deconstruction, but I think you're right, Sean. I don't think it was made as a deliberate attempt to deconstruct the superhero film. It's a yeah, it's a byproduct of that narrative. I think that's exactly fair. that's something that people got out of it. Watchmen is meant to be that, and people didn't get that. That's what I'm saying. Right. Some so, people, well, the 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 masses didn't receive that message. You got to remember, for some people, Watchmen is the only comic book they've ever read. They don't have context for a deconstruction. It, it, and it, it's a. It's also easy to say it's a deconstruction 30 years later after its publication. That's the thing I also wanted to to point out, too, is I don't know that you have to have read a comic to get that Watchmen's a deconstruction, but it is totally possible to read it and not get that. But who – but why – but what – like who's going to read Watchmen, right, and not be a fan of comics, not have a context for any of that, not like care about Superman or whatever – and, and at the end of it, go, wow, what a great deconstruction of superhero comics. Well, so here's the thing. I, not in those words, but like my father had that experience where like my father read Watchmen uh, because I asked him to. And he had never read a comic before, but – well, not never. Like he read comics when he was like a kid, but like it was because his cousin was into comics. He wasn't a comic book guy. Um, but like – he understands Superman and Batman as characters, right? Like he's seen the movies. He's uh, absorbed superhero media be- through osmosis because of me, right? He gets them as a concept without having any relationship to them as a thing. And he's a reader, you know, he's someone who understands how to look for subtext. And again, I'm not saying that that's the average reader, but I do think that just with the cultural um, penetration of superheroes, if you have even the the baseline kind of understanding of what they are, how they can be used to represent bigger themes, I think Watchmen can work for you as a deconstruction. But what did Kale just say? Kale just said it's easy to say that 30 years later. Go back yeah, yeah. to that time and have a – like your dad has more context for superheroes than what I'm talking about. And that, that's my point though is I think in the modern era, everyone does or most people do because they are they – are, penetrative in a, in, a, in a huge way again like you you could have never read a fucking comic book but you've seen marvel movies for the last 10 years so you get it and all you need to do is get the kernel of the idea of what is a superhero what do they represent why are they valuable to explore bigger ideas for watchmen to work for you as a deconstruction that's that's what's, all i'm trying to say 
what's what's ironic to me, and I don't want to belabor this, but Watchmen came at a point of uh, after, uh, comics had declined in popularity in the seventies and early eighties. Granted, but uh, throughout the fifties and sixties, they were everywhere. They were so popular. They were immersed in the culture. Uh, and Watchmen was the first major deconstruction. And people who read comics recognized that at the time. It's not historically revisionist to say that Watchmen was uh, 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 a deconstruction. Though you obviously can make the point that if you weren't familiar with the books, then you wouldn't say that. And that's that's something we've covered w- well-trodden territory here. But what's curious is Watchmen led to a series of deconstructions in comic book media in comic books i should say that became saturated and lost a lot of people because they thought that watchmen inspired like a genre uh what's curious is we're at a point of superhero film saturation and television saturation and here comes along a show that perhaps i don't know idle speculation could subvert and deconstruct the entire adaption genre by being a loose adaptation. That would be interesting. That's, that's what strikes me as interesting here. Well, uh, I think I think that obviously this is a very uh, hot button issue. We had a lot to say about it. Um, and I, I don't think that this is the end of the conversation simply because the show is not even out yet. And this is the kind of, you know, depth of, of conversation that we're having. I did want to add, um, and I don't really want to dive into this, but I did want to add that the cast, some of the cast members have been revealed. Uh, Regina King, who's supposedly going to be the primary, the, the principal character or principal actor of the uh, of the show. Don Johnson, uh, Tim Blake Nelson. No fucking way, Don Johnson. Don Johnson. Nash Bridges himself. Nash Bridges. Uh, Get Louis the Gossett fuck Jr., out of here. Adelaide Clemens. Oh shit, Lou Gossett Jr. Are you kidding me? Those are the yeah. Though that's. That's the cast they've got so far. All right. Fuck, You know dude. what? I'm yeah, in. Okay. Let's fucking go. Shit. Let's give it a shot, kids. So Nash wanna... Bridges is in this? Whoa. You, you Whoa. found someone from Kale's generation. <laughs> Don Johnson? Don Johnson? I used to like Nash Bridges, too. So, you know. I, I, man. Nash Bridges. Oof. Uh, but I, <laughs> I have very... no idea who this person is. Uh, I'm very curious as to what you guys out there have to say about this issue. If you're a fan of Watchmen, sound off. If you've never read Watchmen, I really want to hear from you. If you don't have an idea of what Watchmen is or you have an idea but you've not read it, please write in because I want to know if the idea of a, of a deconstruction of superhero comics has any meaning or value for you. When you first read Watchmen, did you get that? Is that the impression you got? Speaking for myself, I absolutely did not get that. I only learned that after the fact. Uh, and I'm, I'm inclined to believe that that's most people. But I do want to hear from you guys. So uh, you can get us on Apple Podcasts. Um, leave us a rating, whatever you think we deserve. Um, we're on most other podcast hosting platforms. We're at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, we are... At Gmail, the comics pals at gmail.com, where you can write in with your thoughts on this or any other subject we've talked about on this or any other episode of the podcast. Um, and of course, we're on YouTube where you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, uh, share the video with your friends, and of course, subscribe to our channel, which helps us out a lot more than it costs you. And be sure to click that notification bell just to make sure that you get our stuff when it drops. Now, before we do our plugs, 
Kale, you owe us something. Oh, we're doing that now? Yeah, oh, we're yeah. doing it right now. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be an after credits thing. Okay, sorry. Let me no, no, no. I want to, yeah, let's do it. Marco, say it one more. Should no. you say it one more time? No, 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 no. Let okay. him go cold. Let him go cold. I said it twice. You did say it twice. That's true. Get on with the show, man. La Cosa del pan, pan, Pantano Anibal Cunalada Nasario Bustamente Cardona. He did, Marco, how do you do? He got a lot that better than I thought he would. Yeah, that wasn't yeah, too bad. Yeah, that, that was better than I thought. Um, Bustaman, not men. Bustaman. Uh, I need what I got right. This was a special one-shot portion of Kale pronounces a name somewhat correctly. Pretty good. Pretty good. Nazario is Nazario. That's about it. That wasn't bad. Good job. I liked about like halfway through, like Sean just gets a smirk on his face. He's like, you know what? All right, acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Little cred. Yeah, that's that was that was the smirk of. Well, this didn't pay off. (laughs) Real recognizes real. I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) <laughs> so let's hit it off with the plugs Pete cool thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to catch some more stuff from me you can catch me on all of our other shows I'm on the video game pals with Sean every day which posts every day after this show on podcast platforms Monday through Thursday over on YouTube cut up and then the full video show over on the same channel on Fridays youtube.com slash the comics pals you can also catch me Marco and Kale on our Riverdale review show the Riverdale review which posts every Every Wednesday, uh, we're going to have our special finale episode this week. We're having uh, no, some of our... not this week. Oh, oh, it's not next week. week. We're recording Remember. it this week. Yeah, we needed to take an extra week to get the whole gang together, but we're getting some of our all-time favorite guests back for the last episode. Uh, we're going to have Jeremy, Gabby, Olivia. It's going to be a great time. Full house in the booth. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that one, and then you can catch uh, me and Thompson from the Video Game Pals on our weekly Let's Play show, Pals Play, Monday through Thursdays. Uh, we have some great stuff this week. Very, very much looking forward to it. We took a week off last week for Wizard World, uh, but this week we got the end of our series on a way out. We've got a special, uh, I think, half-hour-long finale episode, which was great. Uh, we did two one-offs that were a ton of fun. We played a little bit of Rocket League. We played this weird Sonic fan game. Uh, so great stuff. Go check it out. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think about it. And I would really appreciate it if you would go and check out the two videos that I produced during our Wizard World trip. Uh, we did a vlog. We did a little man on the street thing with Phil. I'm very proud of them. Very eager to hear what you guys have to say about them. Uh, so please reach out and let me know. Uh, and you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at loud underscore Pete. And let me know what you think. What uh, what Sonic fan game did you guys do? Uh it's Sonic Suggests is what it's called. It's super fucking huh. weird. Just oh, tune in and huh. watch it. Okay. I, I would All be right. doing it a disservice to describe it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another one that I won't bring up in the sake of promoting uh, other people's stuff that's very good. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. Give me and we'll do an episode. Um, so you can find me and my books at selfie.com slash panels publishing um, as well as Comixology. Um under panels publishing um letty oh that's in july never mind i won't i won't do that um you can find me on twitter and instagram at toto in that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w um go go fuck yourself i'm not i don't have to justify wow all right (laughs) jesus what okay is that your yeah you heard plug or this is this now this is my heel turn yeah, this is so, still a hard so, heel turn. So 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 get 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 boned. 
All right, here's my turn away from you and over to Marco. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, there are some announcements. Uh, I will be ma- uh, writing a webcomic. Um, and I am... Anyway, more to come later. Okay. <laughs> All right. What a tease. You're great at plugs, Marco. Sorry. <laughs> but about as good as I am. Uh, Phil. Let's all take a moment here and have a moment of silence for the death of the of the failed bit nice Phil. <laughs> nope. We hardly knew you. We won't miss you. Let's go. Yep. And, uh, of course, you can check out our book club of Snot Girl that drops this week. Check that out. Uh, we have a bunch of videos from Philadelphia Wizard World. Uh, I have a couple Man on the Street bits that are going to be uh, there's two total i think those are funny have two interviews sean has a couple interviews that were good they have the vlog um so yeah check out our wizard coverage um and then um otherwise do yourself a service and follow me on social media at cyborg bebop cool and uh i'm at sean soapbox on on twitter and instagram now um so you can follow me for like a lack of content. Um, <laughs> and with that, we're the Comic Spell signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Name your children the Comic Spells. Oh, Peter. <laughs>